Bottles. What? I'll call the place from the line. Defense will never know what hit him. All right, let's go. Come on, bring it. Let's go. Let's go. In 1945, football came to Wilson High School. The program now has over 70 years of rich history filled with individual legacies. From Gursky to Dobbs, Ritz to Reynoso, and countless in between, each forged their own path and added to a growing tradition. You're about to hear their experiences and memories. This is my Wilson football story. Chad Henney, this is my Wilson football story. When did you first start playing football? When, when did football become something that you were really dedicated to? Yeah, I mean, I started early. Uh, I had older cousins. My dad was actually high school head coach at Hamburg High School at the time. And uh, I think I started around five years old. So uh, my dad put me in pads. I think my uncles were the coaches in Hamburg school district. So they allowed me at a young age to go out there. And obviously I was bigger uh, than a lot of kids at my age, so they allowed me to play up. So you mentioned being part of the Hamburg School District. Um, you know, it's most of the people that know football in Pennsylvania, especially Berks County, Wilson football, they know that you didn't start at Wilson as a kindergartner, but it was pretty early that you moved into Wilson, wasn't it? It wasn't, you know, I, I know for a fact, but the people I know listening and others in Berks County, they're not sure when you moved to Wilson. And apparently that's a big deal. So why don't you clear up from the person who would know best? When did you move to Wilson? Yeah, I moved to Wilson in third grade and started uh, my elementary school at Berkshire Heights. I think that was the last year of Berkshire Heights. Spring Ridge was just being built. So one year at Berkshire Heights and then went to Spring Ridge. So third grade was when I moved into the school district. Okay, so when you moved to Wilson, you would have been out of the, uh, obviously, the Hamburg uh, Little League or whatever they, they called it, the Pop Warner type stuff. And when did you join up with Van Rie? When did you start playing for the Van Rie Vanguard? As they was, were known when, when you played. Yeah, I started, uh, I think it was still Mighty Mites uh, in third grade. Um, I might have played one year of Mighty Mites, and then the next year would have been Mites. Um, so third grade, so that's probably, what, nine, ten years old. And, you know, obviously when you're really young and Mighty Mites and kind of just get tossed into wherever you fit, especially depending on your size, they might put you at different positions. But as you moved up to, um, what is it, Mites and then Midgets, uh, where were you playing uh, for Van Reed? What positions were you playing? Yeah, for the most part, uh, I, me- I remember distinctly coming into the school district and they gave me a 54 jersey because I knew a big kid was coming in. And I looked at my dad and I was like, 54? I'm like, I'm 54. <laughs> I was like, give me that 34. I'm running back. I played running back and I played uh, linebacker. Uh, so definitely didn't want 54, but uh, most of my positions growing up were running back and linebacker. Well, when you're at the size you were, at the grade you were in, that's kind of was the natural position for those, you know, the young volunteer coaches are just like, that's a big guy. Let's give him the ball and let him see what he can do. But now as you moved up, uh, I think if I recall, um, it wasn't so much running back anymore, but you went to a fullback role. Um, but d- you played a lot of defense too. They kind of moved around there, but safety linebacker kind of hybrid position there. What about your experiences at Van Reed with the coaches? You know, did you have uh, Seppi Winkler? Was he your Mites coach? Seppi Winkler was my Mites <laughs> coach uh, coming in. He was probably my first, first or second year. Um, really enjoyed him. I thought he was a great person. I actually got to meet up with him years down the road. But um, obviously, he was a great player at Wilson as well. Went on to Harvard, um, and then other coaches that I moved on to were Carl Dragonette. Uh, 
Coach Kirkpatrick. Um, so those guys were my um, midgets coaches. Um, but they all had a, a big role in, in why I like football and kept coming back and thought they were great coaches at the time and really pushed me and uh, got the best out of me. So after your time at Van Reed, you know, you played, played there, what, probably at least three, four, maybe even five years with Van Reed. Or back then when we wore orange, you know, it wasn't the way it is now where Van Reed Bulldogs, Lincoln Park Bulldogs, it was Lincoln Park and Van Reed Vanguards wearing orange jerseys. It was quite something. I remember when, when I was playing growing up, I was, I was like, where's the red and white? What is this orange stuff? It, it was, yeah, Lincoln Park and Van Reed. Uh, that was the big rivalry. And, and that would continue as we went into junior high. And uh, now did you play two years for Central Junior High? Yeah, two years, seventh and eighth grade. Seventh and eighth grade so you got to play with uh, coach Anton Fernsler mm-hmm. um, back then with limited coaching staff I believe it was only him and uh, one maybe two others at the time uh, Mr. Rhodes I know was coaching um, so did your position change for your junior high or seventh and eighth grade or were you still mostly focused on uh, fullback and uh, some defensive aspects yeah mostly fullback and uh, I think I was more like a rush end uh, at the time of junior high so uh, still in the mix of a lot of things. I guess I was just a uh, hard nose, just ground and pound, uh, fullback, and then just love to hit kids uh, at the defensive side of the ball. So just try to put me at a point uh, of attack. Let's fast forward to your eighth grade year, your second year at junior, Central Junior High. Uh, it was a pretty solid team there that year. And uh, we were now in, this would have been the fall of 1999. And at the high school Wilson was directed by, at the time, second-year head coach uh, Jim Contafio. At what point during your eighth-grade season at, at Central did anyone contact you or talk to you about switching positions and maybe playing quarterback? How did, how did that, you know, how did that happen? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, kind of just moving up to go to ninth grade. I mean, Summer was still around, and uh, he always, like, would come down sometimes, watch our practices, and obviously Contafio would take a peek if he could, uh, if he had a chance from the high school practices. But uh, Slimmer always, you know, talked to my dad and said, you know, he's a pretty big kid, see some talent in him, and he would communicate with Contafio. And really, I mean, I was just playing fullback and outside linebacker rush end. And um, it was just until when we played the rival Southern Junior High, the last game of the year, that Contafio was at the game and we threw like a like fullback or one back halfback pass. And uh, I think it was to like Geosits. And, um, you know, I remember getting the pass and or getting the toss. And then, you know, Hucking, I think I got like 35, 40 <laughs> yards, and Geosis caught it for a touchdown. <laughs> I think Contafio, like, it caught his eye. It was a light bulb. Yeah, so, and uh, went off, and then I think it was either, I don't think it was the next day, but it was within a week where Contafio had me come up, come up to the gym. Ian Firestone was uh, up and coming, kind of like he was a receiver, quarterback kind of guy that was going to be the next guy up there. But he had me throw with him, and then he said, "All right, next year you're going to bump up, and uh, we're going to move move you up to the high school, and uh, we're going to see if you can play quarterback." So that was the time where I switched over, and uh, you know, kind of ran with it from there. 
So it was just that quick. Like it switched. I mean, did they ever ask you, do you want to play quarterback? Was was that kind of, or is it just like you're playing quarterback? Yeah, I don't think it was ever an option. I think uh, <laughs> my dad probably had more of a say than I did, but my dad was like, oh, quarterback. I was like, and then I think I remember distinctly him saying to Contafio, does he still get to play defense? And Contafio was like, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So, no. Yeah, no. Not, not, not going to happen. We'll please my dad. But uh, yeah, so started working quarterback drills that whole offseason going in ninth grade and um you know getting to move on there so that was the spark for the transition was just kind of like a one-off you know a halfback pass in a junior high game and the high school coach happened to see it catch wind of it and be like that's someone we need to work with well i mean you have the prototypical size that was the thing that you had going for and contafio is known for um being quarterback guru so he essentially was like i'll work with him and uh, obviously, you know, spoiler, I think people watching this know it worked out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it did, you know, it's a pretty fine. You're going to be entering your what 12th year in the NFL this fall. So, yeah, I think uh, the uh, the uh, the trial definitely worked out uh, in your favor. And we're going to talk about a lot of the people that you just mentioned, Co- Coach Contafio, Ian Firestone. Now, at the time when this would have been happening, when we would have been finishing, you know, the junior high year in the fall of 99, uh, Contafio and the Wilson High School team was going on one of the, the best seasons in history, that 1999 squad with Pete Gilmore, and the quarterback was Tony Cipolla. Uh, did Contafio have you meet with Tony at all? Did you talk with uh, Tony while they were in season or after the season about expectations? Did you get to see him throw? Did he guide you in any way? Yeah, I mean, Tony was uh, classmates with my sister, so, and somehow, I don't know how it's, we're somehow they're family oriented between Tony and myself. Um, you know, distant cousins or somehow, I don't know, but I know one of our family members are related. And, uh, so I've, we've known Tony for a while. Um, I don't think he ever guided me, but he always just said, you know, you know, be your best and, you know, good luck with everything. But Tony at the time, like you said, had a great year. They're going on the districts. I think uh, they won the district uh, final that year and then went on the States. I remember going on a couple of games at Hershey. Um, but yeah, so it was just, uh, they had a great platform there, obviously, Contafio being in the second year there, um, developing quarterbacks and uh, getting Wilson back on the right track again. Yeah, Tony Cipolla was a two-year starter, and he guided that Wilson team to, I think it was a 12-1 and record, uh, blew through Section 2 of the Lancaster Lebanon League. You know, obviously, Pete Gilmore was a big part of that. And uh, they uh, played back-to-back games at Hershey, playing uh, the district championship in Cumberland Valley, which they absolutely destroyed, destroyed Cumberland Valley, and then uh, played uh, Bethlehem Catholic the next week, uh, which was the, the end of the season, unfortunately. But that was an incredible team, you know, uh, growing up, getting to watch those guys, especially right before I was going to go up there and play with them. It was, it was cool to see. And uh, Tony Sapolo, I believe, is still... Um, single season or career passer rating or completion percentage is at the top of the Wilson record book. So uh, incredible two-year starter. And I, I, I know a lot of people, people that you played with, uh, maybe a couple years older than you, still you know say that Tony Sopolo is an incredibly underrated quarterback in Wilson history. At what point, so we talked about kind of the transition and when Contafio talked to you, when did you know for sure like this is happening? Was it immediate, like you're being called to ninth grade because you're going to start to learn quarterback? I think it was, you know, he told me, all right, we're going to transition you. But then I think once the workouts began, uh, we started working out at 7 a.m. in the morning. Uh, I would go up in eighth grade uh, to the high school, work out with the high school guys, start throwing, do footwork drills. Um, so at that point, I was like, all right, life's changing. I got to, you know spend more time throwing the ball than running the ball and 
not still not sure about defensive side of the football, but um, you know it was fun. I mean, I think it was just learning something new. Uh, I always knew I could throw the throw the ball. I was a pitcher in baseball, um, so I knew I had a decent arm, but uh, just didn't understand all the work that had to go into it. Obviously, never called a play, uh, so that was different aspect as well. But it was a good transition, and there was a lot of older veterans uh, from the Wilson program that were on that team that had uh, great leadership and kind of took me in with open arms. Yeah, so you're in the middle of your eighth grade year preparing for a call-up as a four-year player at Wilson, a very uncommon thing to begin with. And I think now we're just past maybe a a handful of players that have ever started a game as a freshman, actually two recently in Nate Keller and Troy Corson. But before that, I think it was four, maybe, you chief among them, Ian Firestone as well. And uh, did, did they bring you along slowly or is it kind of like an avalanche where all of a sudden they're like, you need to come here to throw, you need to get into this lifting program, we need you to come to this session, we need you to watch these films, here are the plays you need to learn. Like, did that happen immediately or did Coach Contafio, the offensive coaches and some of the players, were they like, here's a little bit or is it just like, nope, you're, you're a big boy now, let's, uh, let's take care of this? Yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, set in stone. I think it was like, all right, let's start learning the plays. Uh, this is this route. This is that. Um, so we really dove into it pretty fast. Um, but I think it was just basically getting the mechanics down just because I've never played quarterback before and um, getting the footwork down, different plays and stuff, and just kind of getting accustomed to everybody out there, throwing the football to receivers, running backs, um, tight ends. So uh, that was just a different you know part of me. And obviously you don't have pads on, so it's just shorts and T-shirts and um, – you know, just kind of getting to know everybody and, uh, you know, move along with the weight program as well. At this point, Ian Firestone was a sophomore, but when you would get up to play with him, he would be entering his junior year. He had already had two great years for the Wilson High School team, you know, electric returner, great receiver and defender. But because of the graduation of Sapolo, no real possibility of someone coming up behind, at least in the junior or sophomore classes, um, that kind of what negated them to bring you up. Now, it seemed, at least on the outside, that there was a good chance that Ian would be playing quarterback um, your freshman year, his junior year of uh, the fall of 2000. How, what was the dynamic with Ian them bringing you up? Was he open to that? Did he want to stay at receiver? Did he want to play quarterback? How did that work when uh, you and Ian kind of started these offseason quarterback drills? Yeah, I mean, I think we just like split reps. Um, you know, he probably took more than I took um, at the time just because he was experienced. Um, and I think, I honestly think Contafio wanted Ian to like, you know, emerge and be that starter, starting quarterback. But I think we, he realized that we needed him outside a wide receiver, uh, could really help us out in that standpoint. And if this young kid and myself could kind of take over and supply, you know, movement on the offense, then, you know, why not go with the young guy and keep another guy outside where uh, we can, you know, create mismatches as well. So um, I think we split most of the reps and there was a lot of seven on sevens that took part uh, throughout the summers um, and even leading up to the first game And Harrisburg, I think Ian played the first half and then, or we split quarters somehow. And then I finished out the game, but uh, you know, Contafio had a plan, but I'm not sure where he was thinking. I just knew, all right, well, I'll just have an opportunity and see what I can do. But we knew Ian was definitely versatile in playing different positions. So you get through, you know, the, the winter of your eighth grade year into the spring, the high school runs uh, spring practices for the incoming uh, sophomores and, and you, 
and then you transition to summer and now it's full football full time. If it hadn't felt like that already, now it's football full time. You know, you have their voluntary practices, which you're expected to be at. And, you know, three days a week, uh, other sessions, films, then you go to team camp and things like that. At what point did it start to seem like there was a real possibility that you could be the guy as a freshman? I think it was just going into those seven on sevens, being at team camp, um, just seeing myself progressed. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it was very fast, but it was just slow progress where it was just making the, the routine plays out there routine and, um, you know, just learning the offense and picking up quickly. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of verbiage for Contafio's offense and a lot of it was, he wanted to be no huddle. So it was kind of easy to pick up, but I think it was just, you know, keep consistently playing at a high level and uh, playing well that he saw that, you know, we could have a chance with this and, you know, obviously have some guys outside to help Chad, you know, move the ball down the field. So end of the summer, we're in the last week of August and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this. Did you start the Harrisburg game that, that first week game? Did you, were you on first offensive possession? Were you the quarterback? No, I think it was he, I think he hadn't started the okay. game now. I, I, I couldn't remember. I, I mean, I remember you playing and finishing the game. I just couldn't remember if you started f- that first snap. You were the guy. I, I couldn't recall. And unfortunately, my research turned up nothing. But figure you probably remembered. But I remember in that week leading up to it, that first game against Harrisburg, which was sort of started on September 1st, 2000, uh, talking to my family and being like, well, Chad's going to play quarterback. And they just kind of looked at me. I was like, he's a freshman. I was like, I I know he's a freshman, but he's going to play quarterback Friday night. They didn't believe me because Wilson didn't play freshman. Like that was unheard of. Even with the success of the program, you know, back to Gursky through Slemmer and now to Cantafio, freshman barely had any impact. And especially on the most important position on the field. So literally no one believed me. Even though I was on the team, no one thought like they thought I was lying. And, you know, then we finally get to that first game. And, well, I wasn't lying, obviously. And uh, and you got to play a lot. As you said, you got to finish the game. But that first game, I don't think exactly went off, uh, you know, as, as expected. You're, you're thinking this big, you know, Friday night football game in Pennsylvania. It's pretty a bi- pretty big deal. And then uh, Mother Nature decides uh, she uh, wants to step in. So uh, that first game against Harrisburg um, was actually finished on Saturday the 2nd in, in heat. And I think we started at like 10 a.m. or something like that. It was, a, it was a very weird experience, especially for us experiencing the first ever high school game of our careers. It would be a Wilson victory. Wilson would beat Harrisburg 21-18, uh, to 18, but it was a tough game. Harrisburg led on three different occasions. You had some Wilson players suffering from uh, heat exhaustion. I believe uh, star tight end Andy Rowland missed uh, maybe the fourth quarter with some uh, with heat related issues. Uh, but we got big games from Ryan Schrader on the ground and Drew Kendall as well. Tell me about what you were thinking Friday night, you know, getting ready to step on the field. And then when you got your number called, was there a lot of nervousness there? Did you feel prepared? You know, what was going through your head as you're getting ready to step on the field as a freshman? Yeah, I think any game that you play in and drawing back to that, you're always nervous, I think. But once you get on the field, I think everything goes away and you get a play underneath your belt. Uh, then you just really rely on your preparation and what the coaches have done that week during practice to just carry over in the games. But, um, yeah, there's obviously a lot of nerves going on. First experience as a high school football player at a different position. And uh, just 
looking at guys that are four years older uh, than you at most most times uh, in, the, in the offensive line and outside, and you're trying to tell them what to do, and they're like, does this guy really know what right. he's doing, or is he going to you know guide us in the right direction or not? So I think that was more to overcome than anything than just playing. It was just trying to get their respect and um, you know hopefully play well for them. But after, you know like I said, a couple plays go in, then you just you know lose all thought of that and just go play football. How was it? And you mentioned the relationship you had with Ian Firestone and the other quarterbacks working out, and probably the receivers too. They probably came around pretty quickly. But what was it like talking to maybe the defenders or the linemen before they really got to see you interact in camp? Uh, you know, the seven on seven, you don't get to interact with the linemen. You know, they're off doing something else. How was it? As you know, at this point, what are you like? 14? Yeah, 14, 14 or 15. And you're telling kids that are close to turning 18. What, like you mentioned, what to do? Did everyone get on board immediately? Because hey, coach Contapio says, this is the guy we're going to listen. Or was there a moment where you had to say, I'm in charge here. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, I think it took a couple games. I mean, I don't think it was, you know, right off the bat that they're looking at me like, Oh man, this guy's going to lead us to, you know, districts or states or anything. But you know, once, you know, I started to prove myself throughout the year and uh, f- after the first three or four games, then really just like kind of bit on like, okay, this guy, you know, can play and help us out. Um, but then we started, you know, camaraderie and, you know, great relationships that they respected me, I respected them. Um, so it all worked out. But obviously, Contafio and the coaching staff was a big help as well. The senior leadership and your upperclassmen players probably would have been more open to it if they were part of a losing program and looking for a spark. But you're talking about a team that was 12-1, and destroyed teams in the district championship, one of the best teams in Wilson history, you know, a top 10 team all time. And then uh, a lot of guys coming back, and now they get a look at a freshman quarterback. I'm sure they're thinking, we've got to be able to do better than this, right? And that's, that's not even a knack on you because anyone – that's a 12th grader looking down at a freshman. How can he help us? You know, that's kind of what they're thinking. But the best way to cure that is to win. You beat, you beat Harrisburg. Everyone's happy about that. Then in week two, I believe, is that your first start? Yeah. You, yeah week two against up at Stroudsburg. That was a, that was a bus drive yeah. to get up to that game. And uh, things weren't exactly going as, uh, as hoped. It was a low-scoring game. It seemed uh, everyone was just kind of feeling each other out. They couldn't, both teams couldn't get anything going. Wilson would end up winning 12 to seven, another real close game. And of course the papers talking about Wilson's struggles. They could, couldn't beat Harrisburg convincingly. Now, obviously a, a, a tough team, very athletic, but now you play a Stroudsburg team that not many people are familiar with. And, you know, coming out by a five point victory, isn't anything to write home about, especially it took a Stroudsburg mistakes to seal the win. But uh, you you get some meaningful time meaningful time at quarterback with twenty six attempts thrown for over two hundred yards. You get a couple touchdowns to uh, Ian Firestone and Nick Lambros. Um, a, a big one to Nick as well was uh, the second one was a forty two yard touchdown. Nick was able to take down the sideline for a score. Uh, but it was yet another come from behind win in, in your second game, your first start. Both of them you help orchestrate uh, Wilson victories, and, and that had to bring the seniors on board. Well, maybe it wasn't pretty, everyone's collective uh, game, but a win is a win. It doesn't matter the the scores. You come back home, you get the Gursky Stadium to take on Boyertown, and again, it's another close victory, fourteen to six. Third straight game that Wilson's losing at halftime. It's somewhat unheard of, especially coming off of the '99 season. Um, what were Coach Contafio's pregame and halftime talks like? How intense was he to fire up the team? Uh, I mean, he's always intense. I mean, especially the younger I was. I mean, I think the older I got, 
he kind of controlled himself a little bit. But, uh, I mean, pregame speeches, I remember, you know, Mike Nelson sitting there and he got up the one time and, like, you know, hit Mike Nelson in the chest to get him going and rowdy. And I was like, man, if Mike gets pissed off, he's going to throw Kentucky <laughs> across the freaking room. I was like, what is he doing? Why is he, what is he like, thinking like that? I don't know. I mean, that's just the way he was. He was very enthusiastic. Uh, he got the players going. Uh, you know, guys believed in him and, you know, loved him as a coach. I mean, there's always things that you disagree on, but, you know, he was a great coach for us. We we trusted him. And, uh, you know, the way he got everybody motivated, I think, um, got us going and, you know, got us in the right direction, pumped up for the games. So d- despite the, s- the struggles early on, you're getting the victories, 3-0 and on the season, league plays o- or non-league plays over, now you're going to start a league play. And Wilson has to go to Cedar Crest. And they were an, a team that kind of hit their peak in the late 90s, early 2000s, and that helps when you have Brandon Kirsch and Jaron Hayes on the team, you know, two uh, eventual D1 players, big-name guys that were only juniors. Uh, and they had a strong team. Wilson had to go to Cedar Crest, and Wilson would suffer their first loss, your first loss as a starting quarterback. You know, it was an, an, it was an interesting game. Wilson only lost 20-13. to 13. What, what was it like after the fact being around players that know they – their time on the field is limited, and any time you suffer a loss, you're thinking about those upper class and those guys who may not get to go on. What was the feeling around the team after the uh, the loss to Cedarrest, which was 20 to 13 on September 22nd? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you take a loss, um, you look back and you know, kind of criticize what you could obviously do better. But um, I think as a whole, you know, in high school, you know, one loss, whether it's a big deal or not, you still had plenty of opportunities. And luckily, it was you know week four, so you know, play 10 games in a year, you know, you still have, you know, six more games left. And obviously it was a division game, which could hurt us in the districts. Um, but, you know, and then I think, again, point back to our senior leadership that, had, you know, done a great job kind of rallying us back, you know, get us back on the practice field and kind of getting us set uh, straight for the next week upcoming. But um, I'll do that leadership, Contafio, the coaching staff, um, you know, just get us back on pit at the same page and, uh, you know, keep fighting next week. And the next week was back home, but against JP McCaskey, also not a team missing talent. They were very, very talented. I know sometimes people listening probably are thinking Cedar Crest, McCaskey, because they're th- the last 10 years, those teams have not been strong programs, but back when you were playing, those were two of the preeminent teams. Uh, Cedar Crest, I mentioned Brandon Kirsch and Jaron Hayes. But McCaskey had someone by the name of Perry Patterson and also a, a contingent of skill positions in Dan Melendez, who went, went to Maryland, uh, Nequan Lee, Brandon Way, and James Brooks. So they were stacked, and they were most of them were underclassmen, including Perry Patterson, who would go on to Syracuse. So you come back to Gursky, take on McCaskey, and leading up to the game, actually there was some chirping going on or maybe some just thinking out loud from uh, McCaskey head coach, Scott Feldman, I don't know if you remember this or not, but he actually questioned the Wilson offense, you know, it's kind of subtext saying they're led by a freshman quarterback. How much can they really do? And looking back at the first four games, 
the offense wasn't putting up a lot of numbers. So, you know, he has statistics to back it up. But do you remember that that being put in the paper and people talking about leading up to that McCaskey game, what um, Coach Feldman said about the offense? Yeah, I mean, and uh, like you said, rightfully so. You know, he had uh, ammunition to go against as an offense. We did struggle. Um, you know, I was still in that learning phase where I really haven't – the offense hasn't taken over a game and our defense has really just been pulling us out, especially the first three games. But – um, you know, I think as an offense, we t- kind of took that into, you know, in our mindset and saying, okay, well, now somebody has challenged us. You know, what can we do? And, you know, again, we put in a great game plan. We knew that they had talent as well on, uh, you know, on McCaskey, but we have talent as well. So um, it would be a great matchup. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we, we came back and we, we won that game and uh, our offense actually showed – uh, some power uh, that we could run run the ball and also throw the ball. Yeah, so Wilson got your the first lead at halftime, first in the first five weeks of the season. That was the first lead at halftime. It was a back-and-forth game. Wilson came out on top 28-26. to 26. It wasn't without drama. You know, Wilson's trying to run out the clock. Um, and there was a fumbled snap at the near the end of the game. And w- what happens when a quarterback center misfires on the exchange? There's a couple things that go can go on. Very little people listening to the show know what happens. So what happens on the snap that could go wrong? Yeah, I mean, there's different things. I always, as a quarterback, I feel like it's my job to get the f- football at all times and, you know, don't place blame on anybody else. But, you know, the center could be short, so either shorts arms it and you don't get it fully and doesn't hit your hand uh, firmly or the quarterback could pull out quicker than expected uh, the cadence or the snaps off uh, just not on the time on your cadence but there's numerous reasons why but as a quarterback I always feel like I mean if it hits your hands or it's right there the quarterback should be able to get the football kind of what most of the coaches remember yelling at the receivers playing if the ball hits your hands you better catch it Uh, after the the fumbles exchange there, we had a long McCaskey pass and attempted a 48-yard field goal that would have won the game. Obviously, since Wilson won 28-26, we know that wasn't good. Uh, you were 8-14 of 14 for 106 yards and a touchdown in the Wilson victory, a bounce back from the uh, loss to Cedarcrest. And now the team's 4-1, you're halfway through the year. And because of that victory, you know that you control your destiny to the district playoffs. Now, there's a couple games here in a row where things really started to click. Uh, week 6, Wilson hosts Hempfield on October 6th, uh, winning 44-20. to um, This was the first dominating win of uh, the Wilson season of your career, and this seemed to be a breakout game for you. There was a lot of quotes about your confidence and comfort, and the statistic backed it up. 16 of 20, 248 yards, three touchdowns, and you also got your first rushing touchdown, I believe, in this game as well. Uh, what was it like to feel the dominance out on the field, part of the team effort and your individual performance? Is, at this point, I mean, you're sure you were confident in yourself. You knew you could do it, but this was this did this serve as a reassurance? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you play a game like that, and uh, obviously, you know, it's not all due to yourself. You know, your teammates are helping you. Obviously, the offense line's doing well. The receivers are catching the ball, running the football. But uh, it was a good team effort, and, you know, always one individual gets pointed out. But at the same time, as a young quarterback, you know, you see something like that and you dominate. Um, it does build a little bit more confidence in you, uh, you know, propelling you into the next coming weeks. But again, great leadership that keeps you level, keeps you humble, um, and you kind of don't get ahead of yourself. You try to want to you want to match that the next week with your stats and, uh, you know, upcoming games as well. 
Now, at the time, you had set a new Wilson record of passing yards of 248 against Hemfield, which you would break multiple times over the next four years, um, would ultimately be broken um, by your understudy, uh, Eric Hetrick, now holds the record of 359 yards against Mannheim Township, um, one of many records that you set at Wilson, and we'll talk about throughout the throughout this uh, show. But there was a specific touchdown in this game um, to Ian Firestone that just seemed to be, well, I'll let Coach Contafio sum it up. This is what he told uh, the Reading Eagle uh, on your 56-yard touchdown pass to Ian. He said, just unbelievable. A freshman did that. How many freshmen can make a play like that? And you talked about Contafio's support, but when he's talking about it, not just to the team or to you, but to the general public, you know, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it shows that he has confidence in me and, uh, you know, all the all hard work that we have put in uh, throughout the off season and, you know, training camp and all that stuff, um, I think really pays off. And obviously I knew I had the talent. It's just putting it on, you know, putting it on tape and, uh, you know, doing it consistently. But again, you know, due back to all the hard work that we put in, you know, it shows up on uh, Friday nights. One of the stars of that Wilson team in 2000 uh, was a returning uh, multi-way player, kind of a uh, jack-of-all-trades and probably maybe the best all-around player in every facet of his game was uh, senior receiver, defensive back, and kicker Brett Harbach. Uh, He was an interesting guy because he – wasn't the flashy Ian Firestone. He wasn't the huge Andy Rowland, but he was the guy that I guess in modern day and times playing in the NFL. Now you're talking about someone like Julian Edelman or Wes Welker, or Danny Amendola, someone like that. He was a guy that the possession receiver, but someone that didn't drop the ball. If you got it to him, he caught it. Rowland Firestone, uh, Harbach, Lambros, those are the big guys that your first year. Uh, did any one of those stand out or did they all just kind of gel as a group? Your group of wide receivers all had different aspects to their game. Yeah, I mean, I think they, like you said, they do have different aspects and you kind of picked that out early on, you know, what guy can do what. But I felt like Brett was always the most consistent. Um, you know, he was a guy that was always putting the work in. Uh, he was a team leader. Um, just seemed like any, any time a play broke down, you know, he'd be the guy working with me or trying to get the ball to him. And, uh, you know, I just felt like he had a great head on his shoulders and, um, you know, just very reliable. But, you know, the other guys, I mean, Andy was, you know, D1 guy, went to Duke, um, just a big target, kind of hard to miss him. And then, um, you know, Ian Firestone obviously had, you know, the most talent out of all of them. Um, but, you know, you could get the ball in his hands and he could turn it into a touchdown real quick. But I think all together, you know, Nick Lambros, I mean, not everybody's flashy, but when the ball gets in their hands, you know, they can make something happen. And everybody, you know, helped out that year. Uh, great leadership between all of them and uh, just made some really big plays throughout the year. Brett Harbuck said after the Hemfield win, it seems like every game this year came down to the last few minutes. Tonight we showed how much we have gelled. Chad's a big part of that as he has improved, so has the team. Week 7, Wilson travels to Millersville to take on Penn Manor. Another uh, big victory, 30-7 to over the comments. You went 14 of 23 for 214 yards and a touchdown. And we, we touched on the different receivers. You know, we mentioned four there. But that night you actually completed to seven different guys, just showing the depth that Wilson had on that 2000 team. And Coach Contapio uh, said after the game that Henny will be a great, great quarterback. He only gets better every week. He's done a great job for us. Now, 
Um, league title hopes got some help from Redding's dramatic come from behind victory against Cedar Crest, who Wilson had previous loss to, um, which saw actually the Red Knights against Cedar Crest scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. But we'll talk about them uh, in just a little bit before we get to the Wilson Redding game. Uh, the Manheim Township game was in between back at Gursky, and again, it was another dominant performance, a shutout for the Wilson defense. Bulldogs winning 28 to nothing, and you had a huge game, 21 of 33, 232 yards, two touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and again, you set a school record that eventually you'd top uh, for completions, and it was one of the big things during your time at Wilson, at least the, the, this first year, was the home winning streak, the home field advantage, playing at Gursky Stadium. This victory against Manheim Township was the 34th straight home victory for the Bulldogs. What do you have to say about... Uh, the tradition of the Wilson fo- football program. Were you aware of it as a kid growing up in the system, or did it kind of just pop to you when you got the call up to the high school team? Yeah, I, mean, I think anytime, even when I was in Van Reed in junior high, you know, we always went to the Friday night games, always supported. My parents always took me there, and I just enjoyed watching it. But it was always a great atmosphere. I mean, we have probably one of the bigger stadiums in the area, um, and it's always packed, especially on the home side. Um, and everybody's just, you know, always cheering, uh, always supportive. And, um, you know, it was just a great atmosphere to play in. And, you know, due to the fans, you know, it increases your enthusiasm on the field. It helps you play better. And obviously when on the defensive side, that you know, crowd noise and everything, even in high school, can affect the game. But we always had great fans, always had great support. And, uh, you know, it's much appreciated. So that week eight win over Mannheim Township would actually be this team's last game on the Gursky Stadium turf as week nine and ten were road games. And then what would end up being a playoff berth was also played on the road. Week nine, people had been talking about it for a long time. Even after the Wilson lost to Cedar Crest, uh, Wilson Redding was looming large on the schedule. And Reddings had their up and down times, but they had started to really peak under Al Walski, and this was turning out to be one of their better teams in their history. Coach Contafio didn't want the Wilson team to talk about it, you know, look ahead. It was always one week at a time, one game at a time, you know, that coach speak, the cliches, but they really hammered that home in the weeks leading up to the Redding game. So much so that finally, after the Manheim Township victory, when they put a bow on that, they finally opened up and said, you know what's coming. It's that time. This is the game. Wilson's going to have to travel to Reading, play it on Albright's campus, and uh, that would take place on Friday, October 27th, 2000. Now, do you remember the, the feeling and the coverage leading up to this game? Did it feel bigger than anything you've been a part of at this point? Yeah, I think so. And obviously, you know, being just crosstown, you know, rivals and, um, you know, everybody hyping it up. I mean, just me being a part of it, you know, I think it was just a learned um, atmosphere more than anything from the players, from the coaches, not being a part of a game like that. But I think going into it again, we just try to prepare on that week, um, bring in the game plan, best game plan that we could, and just try to go out and ex- execute on Friday night. Now, I mean, since we're looking back on this, you know, over 15 years later, everyone knows that Wilson comes out on top. This is this is a victory, an unlikely one. But midway through the third quarter, Wilson's losing 25 to six. It's not it's not even much of a game at that point. Now, it was it was well, well played, hard fought. But Reading had the distinct advantage. They're up 19 points, you know, basically not even 20 minutes away uh, from the end of the game. And. 
then there was just some whirlwind activity, just score after score in Wilson's favor. Uh, and I, you know, it seems that looking back and reading over articles about the game that this really, while the Hempfield game showed what you could do and confidence and whatnot, everyone seemed to point to your leadership and toughness during this game. And you know, what, what was your experience on the field during that Reading game, uh, during the epic comeback? Something that at the time was written, and I'm not sure has been topped yet, is said to be the greatest game in Berks County football history. Yeah, I mean, anytime, you know, 25-6, and then you come back and win, you know, it's uh, definitely exciting. But I think at the time, you know, I was getting beat up. Um, you know, they were putting pressure on me, uh, not allowing me to get outside the pocket or, you know, stay on rhythm with receivers in the passing game. And we really didn't do much in the first half. And um, it wasn't that, you know, obviously we weren't scared, but it was like, man, these guys are pretty good. You know, they're fast, they were physical, um, but we just had to change our mindset. We, we had to match that intensity. And I think at halftime, again, Coach Contafio with a great speech saying, Hey, let's not worry about it. Let's not just try to get ahead of ourselves, but let's just play one play at a time and see what we can do. And, um, you know, we came out, you know, on fire. And I think, again, a lot of great leadership on that team uh, to get the guys going, uh, get us in the right direction. And a lot of big plays uh, were made in that second half. Was this one of the hardest hitting games that you played in in your four years at Wilson? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they had, you know, the Bryan brothers, um, you know, numerous other guys that, you know, go on to play. Lamar know, Stewart. Lamar Stewart. I mean, you had guys that were, you know, Division One players. And, uh, you know, we had Division One players as well on our team, but they just matched our intensity uh, just a little bit higher in the first half. But, you know, the second half was a different story. Contafio said after the game, we've said it all along that Chad Henney is special, and I think he proved that tonight against a great football game. He's a great kid. He took some real shots tonight. Is there one that stands out, You know, whether it was Sam or James or uh, Lamar or just one of their defensive linemen to, at that point in your career? Um, was there a hit, a sack, you know, or a rush that they met you that just was like, all right, this is this is a lot different than Central Junior High. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a couple uh, runs that I remember trying to go on because I was never, you know, taught to slide. So I was a running back for most of my career, or high school, or in junior high and everything. But so I was trying to run people over, which you know they were a little bit had more size on me at the time and were you know putting some licks on me, but. I remember after the game, I mean, I actually was, had a concussion because I got sick on the, uh, bus ride home. And then I actually had to go to doc afterwards. And then, you know, big, you know, thing at home where my parents had to wake me up every hour just because I was sick. And, uh, you know, I fought through it, which, you know, probably wasn't the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. And now that you learn about concussions uh, later on in your career, but, uh, turned out okay. I mean, it was just a mild, uh, concussion, but, uh, yeah, they were definitely hitting me and, uh, you know, we fought back. Yeah. It's amazing what nearly 20 years can do to medical science and athletic training because, you know, Doc Moore is one of the best in the nation and just to see his advocacy for uh, head, head injuries and, and concussions and everything that coaches have to go through now, it's a big different over the last two decades than it was in the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, be, besides the, uh, when well, you mentioned mild concussion, they don't even give out, you know, there is no mild concussion anymore. It's funny. They used to have all these different terms for, it, um, back when you were playing in high school and that's completely different now. Things would have been very different if you would have came out of that Reading game, you yeah, know, absolutely. I think, you know, you 
have definitely been pulled out. I don't think you have been allowed in, especially, you know, with the vision and stuff. But, um, you know, technology now is way better than what it was. And obviously research uh, helps as well. But, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a hard-fought game. So Mike Drago said in his write-up after the game, uh, he was a scholastic sports editor for the Red Eagle at the time, and he said the Bulldogs pulled off perhaps the greatest comeback in their storied history. You uh, threw for 167 yards on 15 completions. You also had the 10 rushes for just 18 yards, but you got two rushing touchdowns that helped Wilson come back for that victory. Uh, but you know, it was such a weird game, such a crazy game. In the final seconds of the second quarter, through the middle of the third, the game went from a 6-6 tie to 25 to 6 in favor of Redding, but there were three safeties, two of which went against Wilson. For, for a safety to happen in a game is usually a big deal. Three of them happened in one game alone. It's just part of the uh, you know, the amazing thing that was that Wilson Redding game from 2000, which, you know, still whenever I talk about um, if I'm chronicling a season or a game or sitting down for the Bulldog Hour or something like this and Wilson Redding 2000 pops up people's eyes just get real wide because they remember what they were doing if they were there watching it. You know, Justin, my co-host in the Bulldog Hour, he was at that game. Uh, He still talks about it being one of the greatest high school games he's ever witnessed. Uh, You know, my dad talks about watching it from uh, the building next to Albright up in the the suite there from a neighboring company and just couldn't believe what was happening and how many people wanted to leave at halftime because just things weren't going Wilson's way. Uh, And then you have the after the game stuff with the, the band buses, tires being slashed and all the inter- interesting stuff that happens but uh, man what a game what an experience and uh, when you look back to that your freshman year is that the main memory that pops back or is there something else that that's bigger yeah I think so I mean obviously you know a big rivalry game first kind of big game in my career um, as, a, as a Wilson player um, but you know very memorable a lot of plays that I remember uh, going back and forth and then just the last drive um, you know, I can just picture me hitting Harbach and him springing free on, you know, big third down. And there's a lot of good things in that, that happened in that game. But, yeah, definitely one to remember. And you have a tumultuous history with Redding, and we'll touch on games two, three, and four as we uh, progress here. After the victory over Redding, Wilson had to regroup and go to Governor Mifflin. Rivalry game, huge deal. Wilson hadn't played them in a few years because of the flip-flop of sections, reigniting the rivalry at their place, but Wilson was able to come out on top, winning 28-7. to You threw for 202 yards at three touchdowns. The Bulldogs improved to 9-1 and earned a spot in the district playoffs, which is always the goal at the beginning of the year. Everyone talked about wanting to defend the title, coming off that dominant 99 season, winning district gold, getting the chance to go back. Now, the way things are now, currently eight teams make the field for a while 16 teams made the field, but when you played, it was only four. So that loss to Cedarcrest wasn't the end of the line, but you knew to make the playoffs, you pretty much had to win out. And that's why that victory over Reading was so huge and then finishing strong against Mifflin. So 9-1 and one on the season, you get to go to, I believe, number one seeded Cumberland Valley uh, to open the D3 quad a playoff in the semifinals on November 10th. And that was a tough game. That was a windy game. It did not play into, yeah, did not play into the offensive playbook that Coach Contafio wants to run. Um, you know, Wilson would lose twenty-one to seven. Um, you were, were able to throw for one hundred forty-four yards and a touchdown. Um, and one thing that I didn't mention early going, obviously, your young quarterback learning the position, getting thrown to the fire as a freshman. Um, the first few games, you know, obviously, there's going to be interceptions, and then you run up this one hundred and eighty attempts 
no interceptions. And that came to an end in this game. But what was it like, like each week during the season leading up to this game, getting so much better that you didn't even have to worry about turnovers anymore? Was it, you know, just the relationship with the receivers? Was it learning the playbook? Did your, um, you know, your vision improve? What was it that that leads to those string of uh, your know, perfect performances? I think it's just your familiarity of just the offense and nowhere to go with the football versus different coverages. And, you know, kind of just if the first guy's open in your read, you hit that first guy, don't pass it up. And I think early on, you kind of second guess yourself a little bit and you don't hit that first open guy. And then you think number two is going to be open and he's not open. And then you just start making bad decisions. So I think it was just going through my progressions hitting the first open guy that I saw and uh, just, you know, making it a lot easier on myself than anything. And obviously, you know, experience helps as well. So uh, being more comfortable out there as a quarterback, um, you know, each game, it just like, it enlightens you. I mean, I think you just see everything better. You see different defenses, something, sometimes it's all uh, the same. So you can make those plays and it just becomes routine plays. So your freshman season ends with a nine and two record incredibly successful by most measurements and uh at this point had you been contacted by college coaches yet yeah so luckily enough like you know we mentioned earlier we had a lot of seniors and even underclassmen that were being recruited division one so i think that helped out as well uh for me being recruited mail started turning up um being invited to different camps, uh, we're all showing up at my doorstep, and um, it was all due just because Ian Firestone, Ian Firestone, Andy Rowland, Mike Nelson, like those guys kept bringing coaches, and they're like, "Well, we're watching this kid, but wait, who's, who's this guy?" So you kind of get recognized that way as well. But yeah, it started coming in. Uh, I got my first offer actually from. LSU, which is strange. Jimbo Fisher, which everybody knows, Florida State. Now he's at Texas A and M. Um, so that kind of like opened my eyes. Is like, whoa! I was like, this is getting actually real now. That's a big deal. And um, it's not like it was just you know a small school. It was one of the major schools at the time. And Nick Saban was the head coach. Jimbo Fisher was the offensive coordinator. So um, got to meet those guys, and um, you know. It was, uh, you know, whirlwind at the beginning, but a lot of fun uh, towards towards then. So you're, I was going to actually ask you who was your first offer, and as soon as you mentioned LSU, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Did you expect to get offers this early? I don't think so. I, mean, I think as a kid, I mean, especially even you know, you have success, nine and two record as a freshman. Um, I would say it wasn't all me. I mean, we had a lot of other guys out there that were uh, making spectacular plays, but um, the quarterback's always the guy that, you know, gets the praise. Um, but, you know, at that at that age, um, being recruited, I mean, it's humbling, but at the same time, it's exciting um, to move on and see, see where things go in the next three years. So you're coming back for your sophomore year. You're obviously the starting quarterback. There's no competition this time around. You're the guy, and now you're seen as a leader. You know, you have a year under your belt. You're a full-time starter. You're you're a big name. People recognize you. Uh, teammates look up to you. Did you have 
extremely high expectations for the team in 2001 because of the amount of players that were coming back. Now, there were a ton of losses, and you, you rattle off the names. Andy Rowland, huge loss. Brett Harbuck, huge loss. Mike Nelson, big loss, and, and countless others. There were a ton of seniors on that team that had won a district medal the year before, had another 9-1 season with you as a freshman, but there was a lot coming back in 2001. Were expectations very high? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, like you said, a lot of guys coming back, but at the same time, it's our tradition. You know, we're not you know, going to take it back seat and say we're going to reload um or just rebuild we're going to reload and um i think that's what our mindset was that we're going to go out and win another section title and um you know try to go on the districts and move further on at that point yeah tradition and legacy is amazing and at wilson you know it's no different at sometimes it can feel like you know a sandbag or you know kind of like uh, just a rope around your body pulling you down because if you don't me- meet those expectations, occasionally it'll spiral out of control. And a little bit of that happened in 2001 after, you know, so many strong years in the early Cantafia years, the end of the Slimmer years, uh, great performances, you know, multiple championships and the like. 2001 didn't exactly go as people expected. But it started off really well. Week one, again, Mother Nature kind of hung around your career. As we look through all four, there was always some kind of weather-related issue. Uh, week one, Harrisburg, your freshman year, you know, pushed to Saturday because of the lightning storm. Week one, sophomore year, same thing, kind of, except Owen J. Roberts decided, yeah, we're not going to finish. <laughs> Which is amazing to me because that game that started on August 31st, by I think just like four minutes into the second quarter, they called it and we waited around for like an hour and a half. And ONJ Roberts was like, nah, your game, we're done. Did you ever hear why that they decided not to uh, want us to come back Saturday? Yeah, I really don't know. I don't know if they just said, all right, this team's probably better than us <laughs> anyway. Let's try to save our players for the rest of the year or not. But uh, it's definitely unheard of uh, unless they had something else going on Saturday during the football season that they couldn't have it on the field. But. Yeah, I, I it was never explained. I couldn't find it in, in, the, uh, in the Red and Eagle write-ups or anything, but it was something like, eight minutes left in the second quarter. So they only played about 16 minutes of the game. And Wilson was up 14 to nothing. It was a sloppy early game, a lot of turnovers. Um, you only had 11 pass attempts. You did get a touchdown in there, but they called the storm in the early second quarter. It was super weird. <laughs> um, you know, do you remember as a player what your reaction was that we're not even going to get to play a full game in week one? Yeah, I, I honestly thought it was embarrassing for just O.N.J. Roberts. I mean, obviously it's not the players or maybe the co- – I don't know if it's coaches, but it's probably more the district itself. So it's more than the play, uh, blame than anybody on the player. I'm sure the players wanted to play and come back and play us. Yeah, because, you know, Wilson, like I said, up by two touchdowns, but it wasn't it wasn't crisp. It wasn't easy, and that's to expect at the beginning of the year. We hear coaches all, all the, always say that, you know, the first two or three weeks, those non-league games in high school football especially, that's – when you're trying to figure out who you are what's your identity what can and can't you do and to only get to play not even a half i know coach Cantafi was not happy about it but you know it's they're the home team they got to decide and the administration said no week two got to welcome stroudsburg to gursky now this time around this one went a little bit better Credit for the shutout in the first week because of the call game, 14-0. But this was an earned shutout now for the Wilson defense, destroying Stroudsburg 35 to nothing. Now, the biggest takeaway from this wasn't the dominance, but Coach Contafio kind of dwelled on that once the team got out there and, and kind of blew off steam and got the uh, big lead, 
the effort stopped. That was the big thing that he talked about. He didn't see a full game. He loved what he saw at the beginning because I think uh, Wilson was up 28 nothing or halftime and, and maybe even 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Huge offensive performance, um, but there wasn't that all-around effort. And, of course, he said not playing week one, a full game week one, that had a lot to do with it. Um, you threw for 169 yards, but the big one was the four touchdowns in this game, again, the win over Stroudsburg. And at the time, it was tying the school record for touchdown passes in a single game, which was held by Shane Stafford and Tony Sapolo. And obviously, you would go on later to break that record. Then we get to something that has nothing to do with football, but it happened during the season and everyone points to it being, you know, a, a huge moment in our nation's history. And it obviously was going to have some impacts down the road, but you know, nine 11 happened in between week two and week three. Uh, we saw the major professional leagues, most of them cancel games. Uh, the NFL did so college football games were moved. Baseball was put on hiatus and there was talk about what do we do with the high school games? Should we play? And we're not going to get into, you know, obviously the politics and things like that. But 9-11 happened and the high school season continued. Uh, do you remember the day of and that week of practice leading up to the Whitehall game? How things were at practice? You know, did things change or was it kind of focus on business, try to tune it out? And we'll have to unfortunately deal with that on our personal time. Yeah, I think everybody was just in shock. I just remember sitting in a study hall. Uh, I think it happened around 10 o'clock and I was like, we saw it live because we had the TV on and it's like, what just happened? So everybody was just distraught, you know, what was going on? Is this a ploy? Like what, you know, what really happened? But I think, you know, as a student, you kind of just rely again on your parents to tell you, you know, what's going on with our country or whatever. And, you know, as a kid, you don't really listen to politics, but at the same time, you know, we have to move on as a nation, as a student, you know, as, as a person. And for us, for football, it was just, all right, Let's get back at it. You know, this is one thing that we've known, we've played our whole lives with, uh, that we can kind of get our minds away from what's going on in our nation. And that's kind of what we did. Yeah, and that and there was a great article written by Mike Drago in the paper leading up to the games. It may have run on either Thursday or Friday leading up to games when it was decided that these games were going to go on, at least in Berks County or in games related to Berks County teams. And he just kind of mentioned about football being escapism a way to get away you cut you put your frustrations and the disaster aside and really and he mentioned was you know the people that did this wanted to disrupt your life and not playing the games is kind of what they wanted you know in in, in the sure. football focused you know way obviously that's not at the top of everyone's mind but when you talk about what they're trying to do canceling and postponing shouldn't have been on the docket, at least uh, at, at this level. And uh, they made the right call. Um, Mike Drago has a bunch of great articles uh, the week of that. So if you have access to the Red Eagle archives, it's a great place to read up about the sports world surrounding the events of 9-11. So the game would go on for Wilson. We'd travel to Whitehall on September 14th. And the Zephyrs weren't coming off a great year. They were 2-8 and eight in 2000. And they'd already lost once in 2001. But this was a a rough game for the Bulldogs. Wilson would lose 39 to 16, although it was only 12 to 10 with a few minutes left in the third quarter. Things kind of unraveled at that point. Um, but Coach Contafia went on the record and attributed the loss to poor weeks of practice. Uh, do you remember um, the practices leading up to this game or even in the weeks of the beginning of the season? Was this 
could this have been related to the tragedy or was this just kind of a little bit of high school cockiness getting in the way because you had outscored opponents 49 to nothing, were 2-0, and and just you knew that the tradition of Wilson was behind you? Yeah, I think uh, anytime you're in a winning program and a winning team, I think you you know steer clear of you know what could be on the other side. And I think you do get cocky. I think you know with the players that we did have coming back, we felt like we could you know pretty much beat anybody, and we didn't have to show up. And as Coach you know mentioned the week prior against Stroudsburg, you know we had a great first half, but then the second half we didn't you know really score or you know come out and play. So I think that had to drag uh, that drug on the next week against Whitehall, and um, you know just had to be something that nipped us in the butt. And luckily, you know this loss, you know maybe can get our mind. Minds back on uh, track and, uh, you know, kind of get away from that complacency. Well, Wilson's now sitting at two and one, getting ready to open the league schedule, and things didn't get much better for Wilson at that point. Uh, week four and week five would see the opening of league play with Cedar Crest coming to Gursky and then Wilson traveling to McCaskey. Uh, obviously, Wilson had lost to Cedar Crest the year before, it was their only regular season loss, and now you get to welcome the Falcons to Gursky. Uh, with that long winning streak that we mentioned, it had been seven years since a loss at Gursky. Uh, now we were up to 30, I think 35 straight victories at home. And Cedarcrest came in and shut out Wilson. Not only did they win, Cedarcrest blanked the Bulldogs 21 to nothing on September 21st. It's actually the last time Wilson's been shut out to this date uh, on of this recording. So yeah, a lot of interesting stats. I've actually researched that for the Bulldog Hour recently and when I have to go back past how far Max Preps has their data, because it goes back to, I think, right after you graduated is when they start, like 2004. Mm-hmm. And when I have to go back past that, I know that it's been a while since something happened. And unfortunately for that, uh, it was the last time a Wilson team was shut out uh, was against Cedar Crest on September 21st of the 2001 season. Um, and at that point in time, uh, you know, looking back 18 years ago now, that game was the first home shutout loss since 1993 against Pottsville. It was the first shutout as Wilson coached for Contafio. And like we mentioned, uh, the long home winning streak it was the first home loss for the Bulldogs since September 23rd, 1994. Uh, looking back at the game recap, there were a lot of penalties and drop passes, um, which led to a lot of missed opportunities. How do you react in a game as a quarterback when you know the receiver should have caught the ball? Uh, I guess it all depends what person it is. I mean, if you can really <laughs> jump on somebody, I mean, I'll jump on them. But if it's a guy that will just crumble and kind of you lose him for the rest of the game, you kind of got to pull him to the side, kind of ease him into it, and, you know, just say, you know, I believe in you. Next time the ball comes, you're going to catch it. But um, still at the same time, I'm young. Uh, so, you know, my leadership qualities probably weren't the best as they were at my junior or senior year, but still growing into that. But at the same time, we expect more. And, uh, you know, even for me, I expect more out of myself if the ball could have been placed a little bit, you know, better for the receiver to make him able to catch it, then that's on me as well. So there's a lot of things that go into it, drop passes or, um, you know, incompletions. So at this point now, Wilson's two and two, you know, Whitehall was surprising but understandable because of the events surrounding it having to go on the road there's a lot of background noise for that game 
Cedar Crest was disappointing because of everything that ended and everything, you know, that's a footnote in Wilson history, but it was somewhat excusable because of the talent that Cedar Crest also had. You know, we mentioned when we talked about your freshman year, Brandon Kirsch and Jaron Hayes, well, they're both back. You know, they're both going to Purdue and Michigan State, respectively. Those are big guys, too. And for the amount of big players that Wilson had, Cedar Crest just seemed to have the momentum in the series. You know, they had won last year. They came to Gursky, didn't seem phased, and uh, shut out the Bulldogs. But what happened this next week was kind of shocking i think to everyone after starting two and oh to drop three in a row was just like people didn't know what to do like the wilson community had no idea and even inside the locker room i'm not sure people exactly knew what was going on because of the expectations coming into the year and the talent that was coming back do you look back on the 2001 season and just think that team was incredibly talented but unfortunately a few of those teams just had a little bit more yeah. How do you explain some of the, some of the troubles that that 2001 team had? Yeah, I think it, it is all due to some of the leadership too. You know, we had great leadership uh, years before. Uh, you know, my freshman year, and then that year. I'm not saying that you know our seniors weren't great leaders, but I think it was just a more verbal uh, leadership my freshman year than it was my sophomore. I think the sophomore guys really wanted to do lead by example rather than speak up. So I think a lot of things needed to be said, but were never said because a lot of guys were quiet and didn't, you know, pose that aspect. But at the same time, you know, it's still disheartening that you drop three in a row, um, you know, wasting, you know, a lot of talent that we do have. And, you know, we put it on us as players, you know, coaches are still coming up with great game plans. We just need to execute better and kind of get back on track and, uh, you know, pull people aside and what can we do better and really get this thing uh, going again. Yeah, third loss is the game at McCaskey on September twenty eighth, two thousand one. You know, Wilson loses to the Red Tornadoes thirty eight to twenty, and it was the first three game losing streak since October seventh, nineteen eighty eight. Wilson hadn't lost three in a row since the eighty eight season when they lost to Reading, McCaskey, and Boyertown. And at some point, I want to uh, highlight that Boyertown game because there's a really it's a really interesting ending as there. Um, Kerry Collins throws to uh, Todd Bradburn, um, basically makes like four defenders miss and stumbles and falls down right at the goal line as time expires. And Wilson, of course, thinks he scored and the refs saw it otherwise. Nice. Uh, so I had never seen it until just recently researching for this this sit down. Uh, but it was a controversial three game losing streak, but it's on the record as uh, being the last one prior to the 2001 season. And it was actually, this was the first three-game losing streak in Cantafio's then 22-year career. He had never lost three games in a row. So this is kind of a culture shock for everyone. No one kind of knew how to react. Uh, but McCaskey had a goal line stand to start the game. I think that kind of set them off and got their uh, blood flowing. And they kind of went on to dominate Wilson throughout, leading 31-7 to in the late third quarter. Um, there was a weird play, though, that, that sparked in my mind as soon as I started to read the recaps. Um, where you threw, uh, I don't, I can't remember if it was into the flat or su- a short pass towards Desmond Boyd, um, and it was incomplete or dropped, but the refs ruled it a fumble. Do you remember that play? I can't say I did, but I mean, actually, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, as a high school, you don't get no a replay, play, right? It's, it's just like all oh, here. See, I was at the Wilson High School basketball game the other <laughs> night too, and it's just like, geez, this is so bad. <laughs> Because you just rely on INC and it happens in the NFL as well. So, yeah. 
you know, you just got to go with the flow and hopefully you can overcome it uh, through play throughout the game and then relying on the officials. Yeah, there was a game. I mean, that, that came back. As soon as I read it in the article recap, I was like, oh, I do kind of remember that. And I have the film and obviously I'll be cutting that up to, to show while, we, uh, while I play this audio here. So hopefully people will get to see the play that we're talking about. But I remember being at just a few years ago, I believe it was the fall of 2016 against Central Dolphin. There was a play similar where the receiver didn't catch the ball. It was a pass from Connor Urig to, I can't remember now if it was Brian Wright or someone on the 2016 team. And it was an incomplete pass and there was no whistle. Central Dolphin picked up the ball and returned it for a touchdown. So it's just like, at the point you're just kind of looking around, you know, that, that like that John Travolta meme of him just like turning and looking. That's what you're doing on the sideline because you're like, did that really just happen? And apparently that's what it was against the McCaskey, against McCaskey that that uh, fall game um, where you threw a pass to Desmond and he dropped it or went through his hands and McCaskey just picked it up, no whistle, our ball. It, super weird. You're not saying there was a turning point or anything, but it was just something that stood out. And anytime there's a weird play, I always want to see if you remember it. Um, yeah, Coach Contapio said after the game, he said, our kids showed us something tonight. We're going to have a great second half of the year and we're going to make, going to make life miserable for people down the road. Now he credited the resiliency of the team, you know, down 31 to seven, you fight back, um, to cut it, I think 31 to 20 McCaskey ended up scoring, scoring near the end to make it the final score of 38 to 20. But, uh, despite, you know, all the negativity piling on board three game loss. Coach Contafi was actually still very positive. Now he knew that the odds of making districts had gone out the window. You know, we mentioned only four teams make it sitting at two and three. It's not going to happen, but now you're playing for pride. Now you're playing for history because at this time, Wilson would have been in, you know, around 40 or so seasons consecutively without a losing season sitting at two and three, you know, you got to win four of the next five games to ensure that that, continues and that's what wilson's now playing for uh and it seemed to have worked and coach contafi was very right because the next few weeks uh wilson goes on a tear uh being hempfield penn manor and manheim township three weeks in a row uh at hempfield october 5th winning 31 to 13 hosting penn manor on october 12th winning 28 to 10 and then week eight going to manheim township now this one was much closer, but a victory is a victory. Wilson wins twenty-seven to twenty-four. You had three touchdowns, all to Ian Firestone, he, and he had one heck of a game that night. Do you remember the performance with, and the connection that you and him had at Anaheim Township that evening? Yeah, I think. I mean, anytime a guy you know scores three touchdowns, obviously he's doing something right. And I feel like that that week we had a mismatch, and uh, we felt like there wasn't a guy out there that can cover Ian, and we were trying to get him the ball as much as we could. Now we come to Reading again, you know, being a member of the LL League at the time, you're always going to see him. Once again, it's week nine. Wilson gets to host him now. So Reading's coming to Gursky Stadium and our huge underdogs, the, the Bulldogs are at home. You know, Wilson's sitting at, at the time, uh, five and three. You know, if you win this game, Wilson wins this game, you're insured of not having a losing season. Uh, and despite being huge underdogs, you and the Bulldogs played really well. Didn't get the win, losing 22-21, but there were moments where Redding thought, oh my gosh, here it goes again, just like last year, because you and Wilson take the lead 21-15 to in the fourth quarter, and you know Redding's now thinking, can we pull this out? We're favored. We're the better team. We're more talented is what they're thinking. 
They roll down the field, win or go up 22-21, but you get the ball back. You're driving down the field, and as it's stated in the Redding Eagle article, Andy Lajado comes wide open on, a, I think he said, a skinny post or a slant or something like that. But then you get hit by Sam Bryant. Do, do you remember that play? Was Is that exactly how Mike Drago wrote it up, where Lajado's wide open and Sam Bryant then just blindsides you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you can say anybody's wide open. <laughs> but when you get hit, uh, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I do remember the hit. I mean, Sam was a heck of a player. And, uh, you know, he had a free shot on me, I believe. And, um, you know, could be, you know, a touchdown or it could go either way. But if you don't block anybody or if, you know, maybe I was hot, I don't know. But yeah, uh, free hit and he makes a play, then, you know, power to him. Unfortunately, those Red Eagles don't get into blocking patterns and things like that. But uh, you just mentioned that it actually kind of was Contafio's viewpoint as he's relaying it to Mike Drago. And he just says, Drake or Contafio's scanning the field, sees Lajado open. Tur- or is waiting for the ball to be in the air and looks back and Sam Bryant has taken you out. Like that's the entire thing. Um, that one elicited a, like a shock and an awe from the crowd that hit. Cause that, I, that was a big hit. Uh, it actually knocked you out of the game for, for a play or two. Um, now you did, you were able to come back in. Were you injured after that play or were you just like, I got to take a moment here. It was probably just, you know, at that age probably just wind knocked out of me. Yeah. Probably you could, you know, get back up, but uh, that was that was probably the extent of it. Wilson drops to five and four. Now you know the game against Governor Mifflin means a lot. It always means something in a rivalry like that. But you know, you've got to beat the Mustangs in order to continue the non-losing season streak, which is a huge deal at Wilson. So on November second, you welcome the Mustangs to Gursky, and it's not even a contest. It ends up going the way the beginning of the year started with Stroudsburg winning 41 to 6 over Mifflin and this was Wilson's 10th victory in the last 11 games against their crosstown rivals you went 14 of 24 for 189 yards another three touchdowns uh but the night was about uh senior receiver and quarterback Ian Firestone who we talked about a lot he ended up setting school career receptions record of 134 which i believe was one more than Brett Harbach and also a school career receiving yardage record of 1907 and as of now, both of those still stand. So um, that just kind of goes to speak of the talent that you were playing with uh, throughout those uh, those seasons at Wilson with uh, Brett Harbach and then Ian Firestone's loaded um, receiving core. And yeah, Ian's records that were set that night are still in the Wilson record book. Um, but foreshadowing what was to come in 2002, it was actually... Um, junior wide receiver cornerback and returner Andy Lajado that was the standout in the Wilson Mifflin game as he went on to um, catch seven balls from you for 159 yards and he'd return a kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown and would have an interception Uh, and there was a lot of praise for Ian after the game but he actually deflected some of that onto uh, Andy saying look out for this kid next year obviously this was the last game uh, for Wilson for those seniors and for you in your sophomore year. Uh, but Andy Lajada was a name that kind of jumped out at that point, and uh, we're going to hear a lot from him here shortly. So sophomore year, obviously, didn't go exactly as planned. No return to districts, six and four season, and uh, a lot of questions. And those questions actually related more to 2002. People were wondering, well, look at the look at the guys that they're losing. They couldn't get it done this year. How are they going to get it done next year? 
but before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about your between sophomore and junior years, the recruiting. Has, did that really jump up? You know, you mentioned the LSU offer. How did recruiting tick up then following your sophomore year? Well, I mean, I think daily I would just get pieces of mail from numerous schools. I mean, it could be 30 pieces of mail a day to 50. And back then they didn't have social media, so everything was through letter. Uh, you might get a phone call once, you know, here and there, but it was basically through uh, Contafio. Um, the recruiting picked up a lot of camps again. People saying, do you want to go to camp here? Do you want to go there? And Contafio obviously running his camps uh, helped out in the recruiting as well. But we decided to go after the sophomore season to University of Purdue, which at the time was the only quarterback camp in the country. And uh, Drew Brees was just finishing up, I believe, or, you know, just left there. And then um, Kyle Orton was the quarterback. Yep. So they had a tradition there where their quarterbacks were playing really well on a high level. So they developed this quarterback camp. And Contafio thought, well, you know what, why don't we go out there? It's in the Midwest, see if we can pick up uh, some Midwest offers and get some uh, more uh, just visual of you out there performing. So we go out there. Um, and, and, you know, as a, finishing up as a sophomore, everybody says, all right, well, you're stuck with the sophomore class. Like, you're not allowed to move up to the junior and senior class uh, to compete in. And Coach Contafio at the time was like, no, 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 like, you need to bring this guy up. He, you know, he knows how to do his drops. He knows three-step, five-step. He can throw the ball here and there. And then they finally moved me up to compete against the juniors and seniors. And, you know, luckily enough, that helped me and propelled me because I become the MVP of that camp. And that kind of ignited everything in the Midwest, you know, the Michigans, the, you know, bigger schools out there, Ohio State, uh, Purdue, I mean, at the time, um, really jumped on board. And then my kind of recruiting just went through the roof and um, becoming the MVP at that camp with a lot of good talent for the quarterback position um, just spiked it. And it's all due to just going to one camp. Wow, that's amazing to think that you know your stock can change that quickly. And obviously, people were looking at you when you're younger because of the prototypical size. That was what they wanted. They were like, "We can groom him." And now you're starting to show it with attributes in high school, and that that one camp can kind of be a swoon for you. How many um, D1 offers, major D1 schools, did you end up being offered by? I think it was close to like over eighty. So I mean, pretty much you had your choice. Yeah, my choice. I mean, from the West Coast to South to North. I mean, Midwest, everywhere. Was there a school that never offered that you were kind of like, man, I was hoping to you know visit or hear from them? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I, 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 I'm pretty sure Texas offers, but I, I don't know if Texas actually did offer because they're so in-state volumed. And, I mean, at that time, they could probably get whoever they wanted from the state of Texas that they're not worried about a kid from Pennsylvania. <laughs> so there's some schools like that, but um, I think that was really a, the only one that kind of stands out at this point that maybe I didn't get an offer from Texas. 2002 season, you know, that summer rolls around. Wilson's lost a lot. There are a lot of key departures. You know, I believe it was four offensive linemen, two wide receivers, the fullback on offense alone, and then, you know, two or three defensive linemen, three linebackers, two defensive backs. Like, Wilson is losing players because there were so many seniors that played on that 2001 team. Now, there were returners, obviously, a tight end, Chris Hartman, who you know very well. Um, both running backs are back in Dean Millard and Desmond Boyd. So that's a huge plus you lose Ian Firestone, but Andy Lajado returns, um, but only one offensive lineman in Brad Baver. You know, when you talk about that, and, and people will say, well, you had Chad Henney coming back. So you got a great starting ground, but there wasn't a lot 
surrounded you, a couple skill guys, but only one lineman. And that's usually the one that people focus on. When you don't have linemen coming back, that's usually a huge red flag. And conversely, you know, on defense, there were linemen returning, but they had been injured. Chris Sands and Chad Broski were huge impact players, even as sophomores. But then as their junior their junior year in 2001, they were both injured. They both ended up having knee injuries and didn't get to play as much, uh, which could have also contributed to uh, the lack of success in 2001. Uh, you've one linebacker coming back and about two defensive backs, you know, all in all, you're looking at over half of the starting group is gone. Uh, and people will say, and, and, and they didn't even have a great year. What's this, what's going to happen now? You know, it, are we in trouble? You know, looking at it before we go here game by game, you, you played on four teams. Which was your most successful season? Like, do you look at record-wise or do you look at, you know, personal statistics? How do you determine what was your best high school year? I think, it, I mean, all, all goes, doesn't matter about my statistics. It's all about the wins. And I think, uh, you know, as a junior uh, with not many returning starters uh, coming back in the season that we, you know, eventually have, um, it was just unbelievable. But I knew... You know, I played with these guys growing up, so I always played up. So everybody that was on that team I played with before, and I knew what kind of work ethic they had, what kind of mentality they had, and I knew we still had a chance just because of that. And uh, we put in a lot of work in that offseason. I remember we were just always competing in something, and uh, everybody had the right mindset that, you know, we're going to prove people wrong. And, uh, you know, it really showed throughout that season. Yeah, I mean, by record, this was the best high school season of your career that we're going to talk about here in 2002. And it also was a statistical breakout for you. This solidified the recruiting hype. Now, you knew that you were the real deal because the offers you're getting, the coaching staff and your team knew it as well. But I think some people were looking back at the stats and being like, well, yeah, he's the prototypical size, but what has he been able to do? Which was complete junk if you look back on it. But people, especially anti-Wilson people, get that in the head that you're overrated. you know. And that's not, obviously not related to you. That can be any Wilson prospect. Just playing at Wilson, they say, gets you you know, a, a name. And hey, that's what happens when you play at a program with the, the tradition of Wilson. <laughs> Before we talk about the games, there was something that popped up that I had forgotten about but jumped out the preseason injury with Travis Schmidt do you do you remember that that was something interesting that came up and that's one thing that comes up randomly in conversation every few years is when people are talking about you somehow someone's always like do you remember when he broke Travis Schmidt's finger um what was it from your vantage point what happened during that practice yeah, I mean, there's numerous things where I felt bad for guys because at that point, like, I didn't worry about touch. It was just like, how hard can I throw this ball and how accurate can I throw it? So a lot of times I would just see, you know, push my limits and see if I really could get it in there. And I remember Travis Schmidt coming across, it was an in route, and he comes across and I just fired in there. And he goes up, puts his hands up, about to catch it, and just, boom, hits one of his fingers. I think it was the middle finger index, one of those. And I think it was a compact dislocation. I remember him just screaming yeah. and then just completely silent because he went into shock because he looked down at his finger and his all of his skin was off, were off. Yeah. And his actual... It had gone behind, yeah. behind and just flapping around his wrist. Yeah. And I remember Doc had to come out. And yeah. I was like, oh, geez, what did I do? Yeah. And, you know, you feel bad and you're like, man, hopefully it's a quick, easy recovery. But I think later on, in his, I think he only has like a minimal amount use of, of his finger. I mean, it's not 100%. <laughs> I know that. Uh, just talking to him over the years. But 
Yeah, you, yeah. You feel bad in that instance. That was something that I, I actually, while I was researching your senior year, his name popped up. He's caught touchdowns from you now. Like this didn't end his career by any long long stretch or long shot. But uh, as soon as his name popped up in the article, I was like, oh, I got to ask him about that because that was something crazy that you're like, I never expected that to happen. I remember talking to uh, Coach Ernie Wolber, who was in his first few years of his career when you were, were playing at Wilson, and now he's the defensive coordinator for the Bulldogs. Uh, I believe he's the first one that got to Travis, and Travis showed him his hand, and he looked down, and he only had four fingers because the one was tucked behind his hand, uh, and he immediately like covered it up, and and you know obviously Doc took care of him, and and you, I, I didn't know that he still didn't have complete uh, you know. Uh, health back in that in that digit but uh it d- didn't hold him hold him back on the football field because he came back later that year yeah. and then got to play with you uh when you were both uh when he when you were a senior as well so uh yeah just one of those random things that you remember dating back to uh the wilson career overlap here and uh that was a that was an interesting practice to be sure i'd never heard of that happening didn't know it could happen but you know, there's a first time for everything. Uh, and, and as we talk about 2002, I'm going to put it out there. Most people know that I was a member of that team. So there is going to be inherent bias when I ask you questions about some of these opportunities. That's what, you know, that's just the way it is. And I don't do it on purpose, but um, I talk about this with Justin on, you know, before the Bulldog Hour, whenever we're talking about statistics and accomplishments and Wilson history and infighting amongst, amongst teams of who's the best ever. And, at no point do I ever say that 2002 team is the best team to ever play at Wilson because I haven't seen all the teams play at Wilson. But I do think that that as years go on, that 2002 team gets overlooked at times until I talked to Coach Doms the other night and he brought it up by himself that that was one of the best teams that he's ever coached. Um, and it always, and we'll get to this in a little bit here, um, in modern, modern uh, high school football, the two teams that are most talked about at Wilson that I've you know, have overheard is 2002 and 2008. I don't know if you're familiar much with the 2008 team, but that was probably the most, that was easily the most dominant team of Coach Doms' run. And as obviously you know how successful Coach Doms has been at head coach there, that 2008 team was on a whole nother level. And I actually have some stat comparisons later, but yeah, I just want to get that out there that yes, I was a senior on the 2002 team. So uh, there's, there's a experience here from both of us to to be intimately linked to that O2 team as we discuss it here. So if I get a little too excited about it, that's uh you just have to uh have to understand people listening that uh I remember this season quite vividly. Week 1, Wilson Red Lion again coming off of uh, a disappointing 2001 season uh entering the year and I remember this happening, and Coach Contafio talked to uh, the Red and Eagle afterwards to uh, also say that he had gotten emails from Wilson fans saying how disappointed and embarrassed they were to be fans of the program after that 6-4 and four record. The Wilson mystique was taken away from last year's team. I want the mystique back where visiting teams feel they can't win on our home field. Well, 2002 is going to be a different story. You know, as a kid, as a player, you're just like, you know, you don't know how to take it. It's kind of something that comes at you and you're just like, I'm not really sure what to say. You know, they they don't know what we do, what we put in or things like that. So that was kind of eye-opening, but also kind of solidifies how incredibly important and passionate and the amount of expectations that are put on the Wilson football program. And 
it, the team seemed to respond because that opening game, Wilson won 44 to nothing. Uh, it was uh, just a dominant performance on all, every side, every aspect of the game. The offense gave 501 total yards, giving, and the defense gave up just 75. And that was to a red line team that brought back 12 starters and had finished 7-3 and three the year before. And you went 12 of 18 for 266 yards and a touchdown. And Lajado caught 6 for 191 yards. And that was a Wilson record. It actually still is. It was tied by Josh Smith in 2005. But that 191 yards receiving in a game by Andy Lajado, all coming from you, um, is still a Wilson record. But Andy and you picked up right where you guys left off in 2001, Week 10. And Lajado actually mentions in the uh, article that I read, he credits it, credits the offseason work, which we've already talked about, how much uh, work went in the offseason, the standard stuff, and then the stuff above and beyond, and then the focus and determination that the team had. You know, it was an auspicious start to the season, and unlike how 2001 began, it actually was a true sign of things to come. In week two, Wilson went to Dallastown and again put up over 40 points, winning 42-7. to You threw for 265 yards, two touchdowns, both again going to Andy Lajado. And you set a school record for career touchdown passes of 35 in just the second game of your junior year. Coach Cantafio said, you've got to find time to come watch this kid play. I've never seen a quarterback better at the stage of his career. Uh, and the article actually points out that Little known fact, you were also the punter, but no one would know that because during the first two games, Wilson didn't punt. You know, you look back at your time at Wilson and everything about playing quarterback jumps out to you, but was your junior year the first time you got to be the punter or did you do that earlier as well? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Harbaugh uh, punted my freshman year and sophomore year. I'm not sure if I punted or not, um, but I do remember, you know, at least junior and senior year, uh, Coach Dobbs was our kicking coach as well, uh, who would spend some time, I think it was either on a Wednesday or Thursday, where we would spend 10 minutes on punting. And it was just a cool attribute. I mean, I'm actually a left-footed punter, which probably nobody knows because I'm a right-handed quarterback, but... Uh, I had fun with it. I mean, there was always times where I felt like I kick a good one, and then I remember the one where I actually kicked backwards, where it was like five yards and just getting a look from Kentucky. And I was like, I'm sorry. What, I'm what do you want from me? I'm trying to do my best, but uh, I, you know, I took it obviously uh, just like I do as a quarterback. I took it serious, and I just wanted to help the team out as much as I could. So week three, Wilson welcomes Whitehall to Gursky, and after last year's disappointing loss to them up in the Allentown area, uh, the team was looking forward to playing this game for sure. And uh, much like the first two games, Wilson came out on fire, scoring again over 40 points, beating Whitehall 42-13, to 13, you know, 42 or more points in three straight games. Um, you, in this game against Whitehall, set the Berks County career passing yardage record. Again, you know, only the third game into your junior year. You threw for 175 yards and a touchdown. And this 3-0 start was great. Set up the showdown to open league play the next week at Cedarcrest. What was pointed out both by the media and especially the coaches and the players knew it. The senior class had never beaten Cedarcrest. They had at least beaten every team that they played, you know, at least once, but they hadn't beaten Cedarcrest yet. And after, you know, the embarrassing loss the year before, the shutout at home, this was one that the team certainly was up for and ready to play. So Wilson goes to Cedarcrest and for the fourth straight week puts up over 40 points. But this time around, it's a shutout. Wilson dominates Cedarcrest 41 to nothing, the second shutout in four weeks, and revenge for that 2001. 
uh, shutout loss. Do you remember that beginning of the season uh, scoring 160-plus points in the first four weeks? Could you wrap your head around the offensive performance to that date? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just obviously, like you said, you know, low expectations, but we knew deep down that we had a, you know, burning desire to go out there and beat, you know, everybody that we played. But Lajado was really coming along. He was a track star, I think, the year before he made it to States in the 100 and 200 meter. Um, so we knew we had speed. And for some reason, those teams in the beginning of the year kept playing us man coverage and pressing Andy. And for me, it was just like, it was the easiest throw to make because he would beat the guy so quick and I would just have to throw a fade ball. And, you know, we, you know, had numerous touchdowns on that. And obviously our running backs with Desmond and uh, Dean back there. So we were very balanced at the same time, uh, just not throwing the ball as well. Yeah, and that would come up. There'll be games where it was all about the the air game, you know, you and Lajado primarily, and then there'd be games you'd turn around and it would be Dean and Desmond. So that that balance is what led to the offense proficiency your junior year in 2002. And, you know, at this point, you know, the, the, the non-league wins are great, but, you know, sometimes people are like, well, they're usually the easier games anyways, at least at this time. Things have changed at Wilson scheduling recently with the way the LL is set up now, but... Back then, you wanted big schools, but you wanted games that would help you get things right before you ended up league play because the LL is really where you went to battle. It was an eye-opening win to shut out Cedar Crest like that after what they had beaten Wilson two years in a row. That was, I think, people started to take notice. But they were like, well, you got McCaskey coming down next week. That's when things will really, will really know where this Wilson team is. At quarter two, there's 75% chance of rain this afternoon, 75% chance of rain tonight with potential heavy thunderstorms. And it was interesting remembering the McCaskey stuff because, you know, as soon as I read the name, it flashes back to me of uh, the hype surrounding Joel Holler. Like that was, he was the guy. Um, he was, uh, everyone was talking about him, you know, McCaskey and that the media over there was hyping him up and, you know, how can Wilson stop him or how can they get around him? And once again, we see weather come into a factor because this game got postponed to Saturday. So instead of playing in the bit cooler evening, had to play during in the heat. Now, luckily it was middle of the year, so it wasn't as bad as the, uh, the week one game against Harrisburg a few years ago, but playing a Saturday game against McCaskey was a little bit of a throwback because that's what that's when every game against McCaskey used to be played. There was a lot of hype for this game, and fortunately for Wilson, it didn't live up to it because it was another massive destruction of an opponent. Uh, Wilson beat McCaskey 37-0, third shutout in five weeks for the defense. Looking back to those first five weeks with three shutouts and you know nearly every game scoring over forty points, uh, the the dominance of the uh, of the team on both sides of the ball was hard to fathom, uh, especially coming off of the year before. And it, what, at what point in time did you know that this team was different than than the first two you had been on? Because that that your freshman team was an incredible team. That was a great team, uh, but. The wins were close, you know, especially the non-league wins at the beginning. And then now you come turn around and the first five weeks, you know, you're scoring over 200 points and barely giving up any. What, what were the thoughts as a player and, and one of the leaders on that team to start that way? I just think I, I draw it back to, you know, our work ethic. I think, uh, you know, we busted our butts so hard in the offseason and we just had a 
different mentality. We competed everything. I mean, I remember us just doing our weightlifting and we're just doing our maxes out and everybody's looking over at what everybody else has on the squat bar or the bench bar. And it's just like, no, I'm going to do that or I'm going to do that more. And obviously Chris Sands was one of the strongest guys on our, I mean, he was our strongest guy on our team, but strongest guy almost in the whole United States, you know, <laughs> weight class and what he's doing i mean he was just unbelievable and you know brad bayron the whole offensive line i mean was strong and just you know just little meatheads uh, <laughs> and they're just you know just midget meatheads because they're all maybe five foot eight right if they class, but no, i'll give them maybe five ten five <laughs> but no we just had a mentality that i thought that was just fun to play around i think everybody just knew each and every week we were going to win uh just you know, from you know, our mindset from Contafio to just, you know, all across the board. The winning streak would continue, but the next week, week six against Hemphill at Gursky would be a little bit different. It wasn't a, a domination, you know, it wasn't an overwhelming performance. Wilson would win 36-28. Again, putting up the points, the defense just didn't have it that night against Hemfield. And every time Wilson would score, Hemfield would answer back. But you threw for 169 yards and another touchdown to La Hada. You had a rushing score. Again, Storms pop up the next week, week seven, canceling Wilson's game Friday night. They couldn't put, we couldn't play on Saturday because of Millersville, and apparently high school games don't get played on Sunday. So now Wilson has to go to Penn Manor on Monday, play a weird Monday night game at Millersville against Penn Manor. Come out with the victory though, 42 to 20. You threw for 156 yards, but again, the biggest takeaway was you threw four touchdowns, every single one of them to Andy Lajado. So at this point, you know, people really, you know, they're, excited and you know amazed at what you've been able to do as a quarterback but to have such a connection and chemistry with one wide receiver yeah you know, we, we saw you your freshman year toss it around to different receivers then have a great connection with ian firestone last year but the way you played with andy lojato in 2002 was on an entire another level uh you actually also had 14 straight completions in that game um, which was a wilson record at the time and i think still is i couldn't get confirmation on that one but uh 15 of 17 and four touchdowns to andy how do you explain the connection that you had with Andy that season? What what was it that the two of you had? Was it just, you know, practice, practice, practice? Or how was it that you were able to make this connection? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I keep, you know, relaying back to what we did in the off season, but I think every time we had seven on seven, everybody was there. Uh, there wasn't a lot of guys missing that summer. Um, going into practice, we felt, you know, we got these routes that we're really good at. And like I said prior, a lot of people still didn't believe Andy was that fast and would play him in man coverage. And, you know, they realized after the game that they would get toast for a touchdown. That was probably a bad decision. And, um, you know, it's kind of sad that you don't see adjustments from the defensive side playing us. But, you know, we took what the defense could give us. Obviously, I had a lot of opportunities being in the system for three years to audible and check in and out of play. So in the passing game, you know, if they gave us access, we could throw a short game. If they came up and pressed, we could throw it deeper. So uh, we had a lot of flexibility in that that Contafio gave us. Week 8, Wilson against Mannheim Township. Now, this you're playing five days after the victory of Penn Manor. You have to host Mannheim Township. Two games in five days. Doesn't doesn't phase you. Wilson wins 39-3. to You had five touchdown passes, which uh, set a new Wilson record, which I believe has been tied since then, but still uh, is at the top. All of them to Andy Lajado. All of them. Um, which is a school record as well. You also had a rushing touchdown, so you contributed six touchdowns in the win against Manon Township. 
But in five days, you threw nine touchdowns to Andy Lajada. There are some people who don't catch nine touchdowns in their career, nine touchdowns on a season, but you had nine touchdowns with one player in less than a week, which is just fascinating to, to think about how Andy Lajado and you played during the middle end of that season in 2002. But we find ourselves back to Redding. This is the first trip back since the victory in 2000 in that epic comeback, and everyone was hyping up this game too. And that's just the way Wilson Redding was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Wilson would end up winning 35 to 6. The score makes it seem like this was, you know, just another typical 2002 Wilson game, putting up points and not giving them up. But again, it was another very odd game that occur- it seems to occur at least once in each of the seasons that you were the quarterback. There was a lot of credit given to the linemen, especially on defense. Uh, then Reading coach Al Walski said, they are stronger than us, no doubt about it. And that kind of reflects on what you've been talking about, the offseason program and the strength of uh, some of the players on that team. It was an incredibly soggy and muddy night, that wilson Reading game in 2002. And there were some trick plays thrown into the book. There was a reverse pass for Redding that ended up scoring a touchdown, but also kind of ended the game for Redding at the same time as Lajado picked a pass off and took it back to the house to give uh, Wilson a 14-6 lead right before halftime. But Redding was in the game and, and was matched up pretty well. Um, but then there were two huge plays that happened with Adeem Millard and yourself having a huge touchdown run. Now, people don't give you much credit for being a running quarterback, but in high school, that was kind of that was very much before RPO. Coach Cantafio liked to put in quarterback read plays, and he'd give you that option. And uh, we didn't see it so much freshman year, a little bit more sophomore year, but junior year, you got to unleash it at times. And against Reading that night, you went for an 85-yard touchdown run. Uh, is that the longest touchdown run of your career? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially now, I'm not running anywhere close to that. <laughs> uh, just after your 85-yard touchdown run, uh, which was right near the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter, Dean Millard had a 91-yard touchdown run on the next offensive play, and that made it 28-6, to and that kind of sealed it. So two huge plays giving Wilson the victory. But the biggest takeaway from this is – you didn't have any completions in the second half because there were very little pass attempts. It was soggy and wet, and just things weren't clicking in the passing game. I believe there's another weird passing stat of yours in your senior year, but what does it feel like to not be active in that aspect of your game for an entire half? Like, what do you think as a quarterback? Is it if if we're winning, does it matter? You know, kind of thing. Like, do you get out of rhythm? Yeah, I mean, you obviously get out of rhythm, but at the same time, if you're winning, hey, let's just go with the flow and whatever's working, is, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. But, you know, as a quarterback, you always want to be involved, but at the same time, if I'm involved in the run game and still have uh, feel like I'm, you know, helping out the team as much as we can to win, then I'll do anything. Well, and that's exactly how it happened with Wilson beating Redding in week nine. And at week 10, Wilson travels to Governor Mifflin. You talk about it, you dream about it. Here it is right now. You're two hours away. You're two hours away from accomplishing the all-time goal. An undefeated regular season. 10-0, and 0, baby. Let's go! 10-0, man. 10-0. Here we go. Win on three. One, two, three. Win! Let's go. Oh, is this, fellas? Is this it? 
One more game, we got perfect season, baby. Perfect season, 10-0. Hell yeah, we worked our lives Against this Mifflin. Life. This is Mifflin, fellas. I can't say nothing else. Not a contest again. The defense pitches a shutout, puts up 30-plus points in the first half. Bulldogs win against their rivals 43 to nothing. And that was the night that the no-huddle no debut. That's when Coach Cantafi was finally like, I think you got this. Let's see what you can do with it. Um, and all that you ended up doing was leading the offense to touchdowns on the first six possessions in this no-huddle offense. Um, because of the score, you didn't get to play all that much. Um, but you actually scored more touchdowns on the ground than through the air that night. Um, 89 yards on 12 carries for two touchdowns. And Coach Cantafio said, Chad Henney is a complete quarterback and can do anything on the football field, whether it's throwing the ball, running, or making the right read. When did Coach Cantafio tell you that you were going to pretty much be in control of the offense against Mifflin? I think I've been bugging him uh, most of the year that, you know, just seeing things and be able to, you know, being a third year starter that, you know, we're still in the same system and in uh, high school, there's not a lot of defensive schemes that switch up week in and week out. And if I saw something, I could be able to audible. And I was like, Hey, why don't you just let me you know call one of these games? And he's always skeptic because he's, you know, type A that wants to, you know, be in charge at all times. But uh, he allowed me to do it. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun for me, but at the same time, you ask for it, and then you actually go do it in real life. It's totally different because I caught myself many times like, oh, man, am I calling the right play? Do I need to switch this? Do I, and you almost second-guess yourself. But it was a lot of fun, especially at that age. Um, you know, it would lead me on to, you know, further and further and better myself in college and in the pros as well. Yeah, it definitely seemed to have worked during that game. Congratulations on accomplishing the eighth undefeated season in You win, you continue. Go after that dream, man. You can do it. An incredible football season. On behalf of the coaches, congratulations. You deserve it. You work for it. That's part one over with. And now we're going to go after the big prize. Playoffs obviously going to happen because 10 and 0, undefeated, no losses during the regular season, uh, which can only be, you know, I think. I think Wilson only has eight or nine undefeated teams in their history. You know, it's tough to go through a regular season without a loss. Obviously, you're going to enter the district playoffs. You're the number one seed. So week 11, again, only four teams make it. And one of them is um, crosstown rival Muhlenberg. You know, they had been getting pretty chippy. You know, there's always a team that wants to unseat Wilson in Berks County. Uh, you know, when when we were playing, it was Muhlenberg. You know, then there was a time where it was Exeter and Daniel Boone. And now, now you know, now it's Mifflin and, and Berks Catholic. But uh, 15, 20 years ago, Muhlenberg was the team that was like, we're better than Wilson, we can prove it. And they got the ch that opportunity uh, in week 11. Muhlenberg goes to Gursky, and you know, there was a lot of controversy surrounding that because I don't know that power ratings were involved for that. I don't remember how they determined uh, which four teams got to play, but it ended up being Wilson, Muhlenberg, and Central Dolphin Spring Grove. And uh, Bishop McDevitt got upset, I believe, by Lower Dolphin in week 9 or 10, 
uh, dropping them to eight and two and out of the playoffs. And everyone's like, Bishop McDevitt's much better than Muhlenberg. Uh, but that's not the way it worked. And of course, Muhlenberg was saying, well, no one thinks we belong here. Let's go out and prove it. And what everyone would feared would happen, a Wilson victory in dominant fashion is exactly what happened. Uh, Muhlenberg couldn't hang with the 2002 Wilson team. Uh, the Bulldogs winning 42 to seven things started slow and were, and kind of kept Muhlenberg in the game. But then five touchdowns on five straight possessions, including three in just three and a half minutes. A lot of this related to you and Andy Lajado. You went 11 of 19 for 212 yards and three touchdowns. And uh, Mike Drago and the Red and Eagle called Henny to Lajado the best pass and catch combination in Wilson history. So obviously, forward pass at Wilson hadn't had a lot of history leading up to this point. Um, you know, because obviously Gursky was all about, you know, the ground game. So was Slemmer for the most part, uh, though eventually having Kerry Collins there changed that a little bit, but they were still mostly a run first team. Uh, when Cantafio came to town, that's when, you know, the spread offense came to Wilson and you were, were the first real guy to take advantage of that. No disrespect, obviously, to Tony Sapolo because he was an amazing quarterback in Cantafio's system, but it really opened up when you got there. And what you were able to do with Andy Lajado is still obviously remembered because of all the records you set during the season. And I don't know that anyone even nearly 20 years later would say that that wasn't the best combination. Uh, you know, there have been plenty of quarterbacks and wide receivers over the last uh, 17 years, but uh, you and Lajado still are at the top of the record book. And, you know, I don't know what else to ask you about that because you've kind of already been said. When you throw nine touchdown passes to someone in the span of two games uh, and just what you were able to do, but the chemistry between the two of you was something tough to fathom and has been tougher to top for Wilson. I'm telling you, it's going to be the greatest challenge we ever had. Coaches, players, everybody. We're now going to get a chance to take on the best football team in the state of Pennsylvania. So we get to uh, week 12. It's a district championship game, Wilson versus Central Dolphin. Central Dolphin was, despite being number two in the district seating, was actually ranked number one in the state uh, by the Patriot News and number 16 in the country by USA Today. And Wilson knew what they were getting into, knew the power of Central Dolphin. They had been uh, the team that delivered one of Wilson's most devastating losses, of, you know, about five years earlier in the district playoffs uh, during the days of, uh, I think it was Jeremy Palm and maybe John Gilmore. It, right around that era, um, it was like 44 to nothing. Uh, it was a, a really a disastrous playoff game for Wilson against Central Dolphin. And Wilson and Central Dolphin already had a playoff history, so this was just the next step in that rivalry. It was at Hershey Park with over 15,000 people in attendance, um, which by far the most people you played in front of to, at this point in your career. Uh, obviously that would change uh, two years later, but uh, at this point as a high school player, that's a lot of people to watch a high school game. It was an uncharacteristic first half for Wilson. The offense couldn't get anything going um, and ended up relying on trick plays. Do you remember some of those trick plays that were in the playbook for that game? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot. And, uh, you know, I think Contafio was trying to do everything he could just to help us win and uh, really just to throw them off guard. And I think he might have thought they were better than us talent-wise because they had numerous guys actually had Division One scholarships as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, we were pretty good and we proved that. But, um, you know, we had some trick plays that, you know, were successful and some that were not so much. Not so successful, yeah. And uh, the defense was being pushed around. Trick plays were hit or miss. 
uh, and it just wasn't a typical, at least based on the previous 11 games, a typical Wilson uh, first half. He went into halftime down 28 to 14, and the reason it was 28 to 14 right before halftime, Jason Cape, I believe, took an interception back to the house, or it could have been worse at that point. Um, you know, the fans are thinking that you know this they don't have it. This this team is the number one team in the state, and you know a top twenty five team in the nation. And that's the way it looked at that point, and even looked that way into the third quarter as Central Dolphin would race out to a thirty five fourteen lead. Um, you know, you mentioned the star power they had, and Arden Bransford, uh, Brent Wise was the big one that that really hurt Wilson that evening, and their kicker even was known for having a huge leg and. Uh, actually, a play by his one of his one of his few misses on the year may have been his only miss. What contributed to Wilson's, uh, you know, incredible comeback um, that you helped orchestrate on offense. Do you remember back to that game being down, and then the sudden things just started to click? Do you remember what sparked that? What led to the, uh, you know, the resilient attempt at a comeback? Yeah, I think I, we just turned back to our bread and butter. I think what we did all uh, leading up to that game, all all season long. Uh, we got back on that page and, you know, Coach Contafio realized that, like, all right, that's enough for this. Let's just go back to, you know, throwing quick game or throwing deep routes, running the football as well, um, and just kind of getting the ball in our playmakers' hands. Yeah, and that's exactly what Wilson ended up doing. Uh, did it really well, and Jason Cape was, again, another spark as he had another interception after uh, Wilson had cut the lead to 35-20. to 20. Um furious comeback furious attempt in that fourth quarter to to make a game out of it and you know looking back on it you just know and it was said then and it says now if there was another 30 seconds on the clock even 10 seconds wilson's winning that game uh you know it was a it was a, a point that it was just about time it did you know if, if the comeback had started a minute earlier that that game ends differently uh wilson ends up losing 35 to 33 um that last touchdown, I believe the touchdown was to Ryan McFadden uh, to make it 35-33. And then because of an earlier missed extra point, I think it was actually blocked, uh, Wilson has to go for two. They dial up a pass play, you to Andy Lajado, which we've been talking about, the chemistry you guys had. Do you remember the play uh, as it was designed or called uh, for that two-point conversion? I don't remember. I mean, <laughs> It was a pass, but... You know, I, I have no idea what was called, if it was a bootleg or, you know, if there was play action involved or what. But um, it was another one of those kind of like the 2001 play against Redding where Contafi was like, we got it. You know, he so he could imagine the ball going to Lajado and looks back and you've gotten sacked. And on this one, you make a perfect pass right to Andy. And at the last second, a CD defender tips it and knocks it away from Andy. And that's where we get to the 35-33 score. But that wasn't the end as uh, Sean Smith recovers an onside kick and you're driving with the offense into Central Dolphin territory with the clock winding down. Thinking back on this, if you can recall, you know, a Wilson sideline thought when you made your second straight completion to Lajado to get to the 38, that there should have been time left on the clock, and yet the refs call it down. Do you remember that at all? Do you think that there should have been some time left on that clock? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, always if you're on that side of the thing, you, <laughs> you think there should be time left. But I, I believe you know at least one or two seconds should have been you know taken down, or at least left on the clock so we could uh, have a chance to either kick it or just throw a last hail mary just to see if we can win. But. It was a hard, hard fought game. I mean, I think, I mean, everybody realizes if we stuck to the bread and butter throughout the whole game, 
Uh, I think it would have been a no contest. I mean, obviously they scored a lot of points, but I think offensively we could have overturned it and uh, you know made some more plays uh, than they did. Yeah, even with a second back on the clock to attempt a field goal, it obviously wasn't a chip shot. It would have been a 55-yarder. Now, Ricky Ziska had made a 47-yarder against McCaskey, and he's proved time and time again that he had the leg for it. Whether it would have happened, who knows, but they didn't get that opportunity. Wilson loses. Um, you had a, a great statistical game, 21-31 of 31 for 232 yards, three touchdowns. Central Dolphin would go on to lose against Austin Scott and Parkland the next week, and they would end up beating the state championship by defeating North Penn and then Woodland Hills. I don't recall the Parkland coach's name, but he told Coach Gontafio that whoever wins the Wilson Central Dolphin game, he thought would win the state championship. And now Parkland ended up beating them and, and doing it themselves. And they had an incredible team that you saw in the uh, the preseason uh, scrimmage. And Austin Scott was an incredible running back, and they had quite the team that year, that 2002 team. Uh, but a lot of what-ifs, what and you can't really answer those. But um, looking back on your high school career, is this the hardest game to uh, to look back on and talk about? Yeah, Would I it think, be that one? Yeah, I think because uh, it came down to so close. I mean, you're in the district final. It's the furthest I've been in my career. And, um, you know, you always just think back. I mean, you were a senior on that team. And you just think about, you know, again, how hard we worked. And I think just how well we bonded together. I mean, everybody got along and supported one another. And you just hate to see, you know, a senior class like that that put in so much effort uh, had great leadership to go out that way. You know, we felt like we deserved more and uh, could have gotten more out of it. But, you know, that's life. And, uh, you know, I think we all can remember those that year. And uh, it's something special to remember uh, and be a part of. Re recruiting spring of 2003, early summer, you had to be, you know, finalizing things, getting down to to the end because you had wanted to make a decision before you started playing your senior year, right? Um that day finally came on Thursday, August 7th. And now there had been leaked reports that you had committed to Michigan before your announcement, but you ended up denying them. When when did you call and let them know that you were coming? Was it at that press conference? Is that when the final decision was made? Well, I mean, I, I actually committed to Penn State my probably late in my sophomore year. Um, contacted Joe Paterno and said that I was going there. I felt like that was the place that I wanted to go to. Uh, felt really comfortable about it, staying home. Uh, Penn State at the time was not very good, but I uh, felt like we we could have had a good recruiting class. There's a lot of talent coming out of uh, Pennsylvania at that time. Um, so going into my junior year, I meet uh, Scott Leffler, who's a quarterback coach at the University of Michigan. Uh, went out there for a junior day just to see, uh, keep my options uh, still open and you know kind of clear, and um, realized that he was the guy that was going to really get me better and kind of moved me forward and had the best interest in me at the time. And so came down to it. I was like, all right, you know, I narrowed down to Penn State, Michigan, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, and University of Miami, um, even though Penn State was still on that table where I was like, all right, I'm not sure. I think this is where I want to go, but I'm, you know, never signed anything, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, realized that Michigan was the team. And, you know, let them know right before that press conference. I mean, it was like literally right before half an hour, yeah. you know, before I set out to say that I was going to the University of Michigan. And, um, you know, you know, I was blessed enough to have the, all those offers and all those coaches come uh, to recruit me. But at the same time, I felt this was the best interest of me. 
that pretty much answered all the questions that I had about the recruiting leading up to that. You mentioned the other teams that were in the running. You know, it seemed that Michigan obviously ended up being number one. Penn State was there right behind as you were kind of a soft commitment to them leading up to um, part of that process. Where did the other teams slot in? Like, did you have a three, four, five, or just kind of Michigan and everyone else? Yeah, I think Miami was three. And okay. And it was uh, probably Georgia and Tennessee. I had a great relationship with actually Coach Rick at the time, and um, he was at, I believe, Florida State or something prior where I went to uh, a camp there um, but he he was uh, you know a great coach and felt very comfortable with him uh, and Larry Coker uh, and uh, Warner I think at the time was the offensive coordinator who was uh, up in Berks County a lot coming to recruit me took a visit down to Miami as well but in the end felt like this was the best decision uh, not too far away from home uh, eight-hour drive, and uh, they definitely had a great team uh, coming back in, in the future. We could probably fill an entire show talking about Michigan alone, but we're going to stick with Wilson here. So you made the commitment. You're ready to do your senior senior season. Um, what what were the expectations after the 2002 team, both for your personal play and the team? Did you feel like there was enough coming back to make another run? How did you think your senior season would play out? Well, I mean, we, we definitely lost a lot of people, uh, a lot of key components. Obviously, Lajada was gone, uh, both running backs. Offensive line was pretty much yeah, every, gone. Everyone but Tony Setley. Yeah. So uh, you're looking at that, and you're like, man, this is this could be deja vu of what happened from 2001 to 2002. Uh, not, no expectations, not really, you know, just pretty much me coming back. But, you know, these are the guys, again, that I grew up with, played with, and felt, you know, tight bond with. And still good expectations. You know, we can overcome a lot of things and uh, really have a good senior, great senior year. The Red and Eagle season preview made it Henny versus Bryant all summer long. That was the big thing. You're both being seniors, this being your last go-round in Berks County football. And obviously that matchup wouldn't happen until week nine. But that was the big deal uh, the summer of 2003 was uh, Wilson Redding and Henny versus Bryant. But there's eight games before that. So in week one, you got to travel the Red Line, had dismantled Red Line the last two years, get to play them again, come out on top 22-10, to 10, much different game than the year before when it was 44 to nothing. Um, and Redline actually gave you uh, a little bit of help along the way with two red zone turnovers. And they had their own controversial fumble at the goal line that Wilson was on the correct side of that controversy this time, recovering that. Um, defense struggled against the run, I think, which was a little bit of surprising with some of the guys that were back. And that's a, a theme that would unfortunately continue uh, during your senior year. But you had a strong game on the ground. This is where you got to unleash your, your legs again against red line, 113 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but a win is a win 22 to 10 of red line in week one week two, you hosted Dallas town. And that was more of the same again, not even close. Dallas town wasn't in, even in the same league. Uh, you and Wilson destroyed them 49 to seven. And it, again, complete domination. You threw for over 230 yards and four touchdowns. And then once again, you were able to score on the ground. The final game of the non-league slate senior season was at Spring Grove. And now that name should sound familiar because they were one of the final four in the District 3 playoffs the year before. 
not a team with a lot of uh, history, at least not known in, in these parts, but you have to go to their stadium uh, and take on Spring Grove, who uh, had actually pushed Central Dolphin to the limit the year before. You know, Wilson loses by two in the championship. Well, Spring Grove lost by two in the semifinal to that same Central Dolphin team. So these were no pushover. This was a strong team that you went to play. Um, and Wilson came out on top 27 to 19. You guys were actually losing in the third quarter, 13 to 12. And it was a shift to the running game that helped lead to the win. Uh, they say the passing game wasn't working that night, but you did have three touchdowns to James Giosets, who uh, reluctantly during the season uh, leading up to shifted from wide receiver to tight end. Uh, he was a big body that you got to throw to, you know, and obviously you've thrown to Andy Rowland and Chris Hartman weren't small either, but James G- Jim Gios, man, he uh, really came on when he moved the tight end for you to give you another weapon on offense during your senior year. So looking back at those non-league games, um, did anything stand out in those first three weeks of your senior year? I mean, I definitely think we had, you know, not that we had issues, but it was tougher than the year before where it came uh, into those games. I mean, we really had to work at it because we weren't as talented as the year before. But at the same time, we had to be very precise in what we were doing in the passing game and the running game just to overcome the talent-wise. Um, but, again, we still had great game plans and felt, you know, we're still superior and, you know, our expectations were still high. Well, those expectations were met the next week. In week four, you got the host Cedar Crest, which was the 600th game in Wilson football history. And once again, like the year before, uh, a big shutout at Cedar Crest. This time, Wilson shuts out Cedar Crest at home, 54 to nothing. It was at the time the largest margin of victory in school history. And it actually pushed the Wilson's regular season winning streak to 15 games, uh, dating back to uh, the win against Mifflin at the end of 2001. Uh, you went 28 of 20 for 270 yards, which was a new school record, and four touchdowns and another rushing touchdown, which was uh, statistically your best game of the year. Uh, and in that process against Cedar Crest, you became the top passer in District 3 history and moved into the top 10 in Pennsylvania career passing. Uh, we, we You talk a lot about Wilson records, and you know, I've thrown a lot at you. What does it mean to you when you start talking about the bigger picture of District 3 and through that the entire state? You know, What does it mean to you to hold records that aren't just so localized but across the entire state? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of great players that came out of the state of Pennsylvania, especially in our district, and to be you know mentioned with a lot of those names and to be at the top at you know one point uh, – is definitely you know humbling and you know exciting uh, for a young kid, and I think all it comes back to again, and you know it's just not one man show. There's a lot of you know people that helped me throughout the years, coaches, players, and uh, they're more deserving than just myself. Now that huge victory against Cedar Crest that met you know expectations or what Wilson kind of expected entering the year. Uh, improving to 4 and 0 now and a dominating win over a league opponent that set up a huge showdown at McCaskey the next week. Unfortunately, Wilson would lose 31 to 14 with McCaskey being up 21 to nothing at half and 24 nothing through the middle of the fourth quarter. And once again, it seemed that their the skill positions at McCaskey just overpowered um, Wilson 
it was a tough game for for you you and the Bulldogs that night. Uh, you went twenty one of forty one for one hundred seventy seven yards, and that actually matched a single game completion record and record for attempts at Wilson uh, for you. Do you remember that game? The, the, how that game went? How things unfolded? You know how how you felt during the game? Yeah, I mean they were just running all over us. Like you said, they had uh, better skill uh, positions uh, all across the board. Uh, even their quarterback was uh, pretty good at the time. And, um, you know, we just couldn't match their intensity. Um, you know, we just didn't match up well against them. And I think, you know, didn't help that we played poorly too. We didn't play our best game at that point. And again, I think complacency was, and, uh, just, you know, cockiness was really rolling in that, Hey, we're four and oh, you know, it's going to be the same thing as last year, but, um, you know, we get overtook and, uh, you know, it just happens like that. Yeah, the first loss of the season was attributed to the McCaskey School players. They locked down your two big receivers in Jason Cape and Sean Smith. Now, you had a lot of chemistry and connections with Geosits, uh, but that was all that the Wilson offense was able to get going. Wilson isn't a stranger to missed calls. You know, we talked about a few already tonight, um, whether it's a penalty or a turnover or something to do with the clock. Um, in 1998, a fumble by Mannheim Central's Jeff Smoker wasn't called, and it played a part in the Barons' victory, uh, which cost Wilson a Lancaster League Section 2 crown. Why do I bring this up? Well, because in week six of your senior year, you guys went to Hempfield and ended up losing 27-24, second straight loss. Um, now the chance for making the playoffs were starting to be slim, especially because you had to play Reading yet. The controversy came up near halftime when Hempfield quarterback Austin Hinkle fumbled inside the five. The ball was actually at the one. He stepped back, looked to hand it off, but he started to slip. And as he was slipping and falling, the ball comes out. Um, Matt Mikowski recovered the ball. Wilson had it. You know, you're able to go into halftime with a lead. And then the refs say, no, he was down. The way Kentafi makes it sound is there was no way he was down. Uh, obviously, with Wilson defense on the field, you're on the sideline talking to Kentafi, Wilson coach, uh, offensive coaches. Did you see this fumble? Do you I recall it? I don't recall you it don't at recall all, it. I, mean, I, I wasn't sure if you'd be like, yeah, it wasn't a fumble. Yeah. You know, like kind of one of those deals. Like I was there, it didn't happen. Yeah. So the. Contafio in the news articles definitely makes it say like there's no way he basically says anyone else would not say that would say it was a fumble but refs didn't see it that way they got the ball scored a touchdown took the lead at halftime and uh, Wilson offense and defense couldn't hold out and overcome the victory but it was a furious comeback attempt uh, they actually had gone up I believe uh, 27 to 12 and you directed two long scoring drives to cut it to 27 24 but again time ran out and uh Coach Contafio said, hey, we were beating some areas, but the biggest issue was that non-call before half. And you, know, you it's tough to say that that is the reason you lost the game, but it was highly implied that that was one of the, the big things. The other standout from that game was that the defense didn't have Jason Cape. Uh, he was out for that game, allowing um, Austin Hinkle and the Black Knights to throw all over the secondary and also missing Tony Quarantoto at end because of an injury. So two big defensive pieces, maybe the – Two of your best players on defense missed the game, uh, and that week six game would end up uh, haunting Wilson for the rest of the year. Um, you ended up, you threw for 245 yards and two touchdowns, uh, but just not enough and controversy all over for that week six game. Uh, your senior season, you'd rally with the Wilson teammates and win the next two weeks, beating Penn Manor, um, where you'd throw for 388 yards. And that might have been 288. I might have written that wrong. I'm not sure. But 
it was a lot of yardage. I believe you set a new record, uh, three touchdowns. Uh, it was a bit of a slow start and some inconsistent defense, but you had eventually had great offense and special teams. I believe Mr. Sear was announcing and said that Matt Bonsell had set a uh, single game record for most extra points made. He made eight that night, uh, beating Penn Manor 56 to 27. As you go to Township the next week, winning 22 to three, this is one of those statistical anomalies that I mentioned earlier that seems to happen once a year, just like the weather. Something always happened with, with your statistics. And this was a great win against a solid team on the road. There was a ton of rain and mud. You only threw three passes the whole night. And only one of them was complete for 15 yards. If you someone would say, well, you're a quarterback at Wilson, that you're only going to throw three passes for 15 yards, well, Wilson's going to lose, right? No way is, is Wilson going to win. Well, junior running back Chaz Logan ran 33 times for 206 yards and a touchdown. But that set up a showdown with Redding next week with the playoffs riding on that game. You got to uh, host Redding your senior season. Um, do you remember the expectations in the prep heading into that showdown in week nine, your senior year? Yeah, I mean, just like you mentioned prior, you know, me against James Bryan at the time early in the season, but, you know, you know, two of the better, uh, Pennsylvania players in the state, uh, James, I think committed to university of Miami and me obviously going to Michigan, but, um, they made it a one, two punch. And obviously there's a lot more in football that goes into just two people. Um, but again, Rivalry's high. Everybody's excited. Um, another opportunity for us to kind of get back at it. Uh, great win the, the week prior, but still, we kind of need to get this win in and, uh, you know, make ourselves, you know, feel good about the season that has gone on. Uh, over 7,000 people were in attendance at Gursky Stadium for that game, uh, but things did not go uh, the way you and your teammates wanted to. Um, this always stands out to me, This the headline that just jumps out from the Redding Eagle, the, oh, what a night, and James Bryant hugging his teammates. Uh, it was, nothing went right for you guys. Like, it was just one of those games where nothing, you could just couldn't do anything. It just wasn't your night. Um, Redding ended up giving Wilson, you know, one of the worst losses in program history. And you already mentioned James Bryant was the guy. You know, he scored three touchdowns. He had just these pounding hits against uh, you and the running backs. Uh, just weren't able to account for him, get things done. Uh, it was just a tough, tough night all around. It kind of epitomized the season. Just there were times when when things went the wrong way, they went the wrong way fast, and it was tough to overcome them. And uh, the Wilson-Redding game in 2003 was one of those. Uh, actually, reading back over, like the box score and, and the articles about it, it didn't – it 44 to two is not, it's hard to slice that and make it pretty in any fashion, but you, the more you read about it, there it was big plays. There were big plays spurred by James Bryant. Either he did them or he helped lead to them. Um, and it, it's amazing how can, one person can take, take a game and turn it around, but that's happened for and against Wilson. And this on this night, unfortunately was against what was the reaction post game, your teammates and coaches, what did they say after the, after the, uh, 44 to two lost the Reading? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, obviously you get your butt whooped that bad that, I mean, what else can you say? I mean, you're already beat down, you know, there's not much that you can add on top of that to make you feel any better or any worse. Um, but we knew, hey, you know, we just got to bounce back. We have one game left and, um, you know, give it to Reading. Hopefully they go on and win the district or, uh, you know, states because, you know, they had a heck of a team, heck of a senior class, and they just had our number that year. 
So week 10, you get to host the rival, um, Governor Mifflin at Gursky. You will never play football again on this field. You will never wear that uniform again. Let's go team on three. One, two, three. Team. Any son of Sheldon and Sue Eddie of Wyoming. And you guys definitely seemed that uh, you wanted to forget the week before because you ended up putting 60 points on the board, winning 60 to 13. Um, it was actually the final game in the Lancaster Lebanon League for Governor Mifflin. They were moving to the Berks IC the next season, and it was your final high school game. Um, but you know, you didn't even get to play the whole game because of the destruction that happened, 35 to nothing in early second quarter. It just, it was everything went right for you, but that unfortunately meant you didn't get to play the whole game. What was it like knowing that that was the final time you were going to step on Gursky and play with the with those kids that you grew up your you know spend your entire football life playing with them and now it was over. Yeah, man, I think it was special. Obviously, just thinking about on all the memories that I had uh, at Gursky or just in my career at Wilson. Uh, kind of just replayed through my mind that whole game and just kind of taking it in one step at a time. But I think the most uh, thing that I you know, the, the thing that I do remember most is that just thinking about the my classmates never getting to play or playing at Gursky again that really like hurt me personally because I knew I was moving on to bigger and better things. But some of these guys, this is the last opportunity to play on this right. field and kids that I grew up with. So. I think it was mixed emotions. I mean, I knew that, you know, my career was coming to a, is coming to an end tonight and um, it was a tough way to go out, but I just felt for more of my teammates than just myself personally. You ended up passing for 123 yards against Mifflin, two touchdowns, and the yardage total was able to get you over 7,000 yards in your career, um, which you were only at the time the third Pennsylvania player to ever do so across the state, and you finished with a still Wilson record, 74 career passing touchdowns, and no one's come close since. I think maybe high 30s or 40s for a few of them, um, and we've had people maybe break single season records, but some of your career records are going to be up there for a long time because you don't get people who start for four years in high school. So that kind of puts a bow on your career. Just a few final questions here before we finish up. Um, you know, you play with a ton of kids in their four years at Wilson, D1 prospects, incredible talent. Who was the best one that you played with? If you can single someone out who you're like, he was the best player. Yeah, Offense, man. defense, doesn't matter. Who's like when you played? Who was that guy? Yeah, I, mean, I think you have to go back. I mean, we've talked about him a lot in 2002. Andy Lahado. I mean, our connection uh, just on the football field. We were track teammates as well. We ran the four by one, and his success on the track as well was unbelievable. But you know, he was just one of those guys. He was real skinny, kind of scrawny guy, but he made it work, and he had tremendous speed and just a great attitude. He never. You know, once you know, complained that he wasn't getting the ball because we were running the ball that game, but uh, he he was something special for sure. I know Coach Cantafio had a huge impact on your life, but if you take him out of the equation, who was the next like next coach that had the biggest impact on you at Wilson? Who taught you the most? Who was the one you looked up to the most outside of Coach Cantafio? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's numerous people. I mean, it's hard to list one, but. Um, <laughs> Obviously, Doug Doms was part of it. I mean, he coached me in track as well uh, and football. So, 
uh, he had a, a big impact as well. Uh, Ernie Walberg was always a great support and uh, staff for me because he would always give me crap when he was the defensive coordinator and try to, you know, pick me apart in practice and you know challenge me at for sure and always screaming and trying to get the best <laughs> out of everybody, which was. Uh, you know, great aspect as well. But even early on, I mean, I think Carl Dragonet was great. Anton Frenzler, I mean, all those guys were just, you can't just name one. I think they all had an impact on my career and where, it, where it's ended up. Now let's quickly focus on one aspect of uh, your career at Wilson. It was the student part. Who was your favorite teacher at Wilson when you were in high school? Who was the guy that, you know, maybe made the biggest impact on you educationally? Yeah, I mean, um, I would just say Mr. Noise was great. I mean, he was my pre-calc teacher um, my senior year. I think um, he, he was tremendous. Uh, I draw back to, I mean, a lot of teachers. Uh, Magala, I mean, he was my homeroom teacher for a little bit, and then he retired. Uh, he was awesome. But, I mean, every teacher plays a role in every student or person's life, and, you know, they always have – memorable uh aspects that you know keep you keep coming back to you but um i think i've been blessed enough for coaches teachers that they've all done a great job obviously being from west lawn graduating from wilson this area is well very familiar with uh the wilson pedigree and even portions of this state but once you got into you know nationally and recruiting and playing at michigan and now in the in the pros you know, if someone asks you, you bring up that you went to Wilson, do people have any idea what you're talking about? Like, do people know Wilson throughout your career? Had they heard about the school? Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, there's there's some people, if you're in Pennsylvania, you probably would know about it. But even, I mean, a lot of teams, like playing with Paul Pozlesny, I mean, went to Hope High School, you know, right outside Aliquippa. He was in a small school, so he didn't know about Wilson. I think he was like 2A or 3A, and we were at the time 4A. So, um, But I think around this area in Berks County and right outside of Berks County, it's very well known. I think uh, just the effort and the kids that you get out of this school district is tremendous just because I think we're just step above because we have the mindset, the, the work ethic um, uh, to put into it. And you get really good young men and young women out of it. And it's just a great area to raise a family. What is your reaction to the manufactured controversy surrounding Wilson and recruiting, especially when it relates to people thinking that Wilson somehow recruited you? Yeah, I mean, obviously we kind of should be able to sit that and put it in stone right now. I mean, I came in third grade, so to say you're going to recruit a third grader, that's kind of, you know, obnoxious. But nowadays, I mean, I feel like every school does. I mean, no matter what, I mean, whether your parents are willing to move you into a school district that's going to better you as a student or an athlete, uh, they're putting you in the best position. And that's a parent's choice. But I feel like every every school uh, is out there trying to pull – uh, kids left and right, and it's very competitive, uh, which is sad because it's only high school sports right, or right. high school education. Um, but at the same time, everybody wants the best for their kids. And, I mean, I don't know what else to say more about Wilson. I mean, it's given me great opportunities in life uh, that you couldn't get anywhere else. And uh, proud of our school, proud of, you know, people that have come out of it. Um and, you know, I think it's the best, but obviously I'm biased. And to say we recruit and somebody else doesn't, 
I think that's a bunch of crap. Yeah, you know, because everybody wants the best students and athletes. I mean, this discussion is sparked by an article that was put up a few months ago about you know Wilson being one of the schools that once you know separate public private in the playoffs and whatnot, and that immediately somehow turned into Wilson versus Burke's Catholic, and then you had a lot of people throwing accusations at Wilson for recruiting. Basically, name any big player at Wilson, and someone will say, "Oh, well, they recruited them," and and it always focused with Kerry Collins is the first one that comes up. But then people would jump in and start talking about how we recruited you. And that doesn't that makes me laugh because I'm familiar with the situation. And then I laugh even more when your mom jumps in and is like, yeah, we moved in in third grade. Like, he wasn't recruited. But you still have people that insist, no, you were recruited. It's just – it's laughable. Um, but I, I always say – Public schools have to deal with boundaries. You must live there. If a school is, if a family is going to uproot themselves to move into that district, that's their prerogative, more power to them. And also, that's not a recruiting thing. Recruiting is leaving one boundary to go to another and, you know, have no repercussions. Which, technically, I mean, Catholic schools, I mean, I lived in Florida for 10 years, and obviously, most of them are Catholic schools. And so, people drive 40 minutes and can go to that Catholic school. They can pick whatever school right. they want. So for us, I mean, as a public school, you actually have to physically live in that school district. Yeah. And, you know, it's tough to say that. It always gave me a laugh because like, if a family is willing to buy a house in a district so their kid can attend a school, if they can do that, that's awesome. And it just always made me laugh when your name comes in that conversation because it's complete crap. <laughs> um, all right, last thing. We talked a lot today about your entire career at Wilson. If you could sum up your four years with the program and the school, um, you know, and, and what did Wilson and the program mean to you? You kind of touched on it already, but it was, you know, a big part of your life and helped springboard to you where you are today. What does Wilson football mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think just Wilson in general. I mean, it's, you know, hardworking people that come out of here. Um, you know, we're a very good school, but we we have values um, that are still instilled upon me. And I think, you know, I wouldn't, I'm raising my kids here. I built a house here because of the way teachers bring up, the way coaches bring up students here. I mean, I know life has changed uh, in generations. Um, but if you raise them the way you want to be treated and respect people, I think um, you'll get the best out of them. And I think that's what Wilson has done for me, that they treated me as an individual. They never treated anybody more special than anybody else. You still had to put the work in, and uh, good results will come if you do put the work in. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chad. Hopefully everyone enjoyed hearing your Wilson football story, and there'll be more to come, and we look forward to seeing you uh, playing on Sundays again this fall. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks.